what we've got here is failure to communicate. Nine times. Mr. Brown. Mr. White. You know, for kids. Mr. Blonde. Mr. Blue. Mr. Orange. Mr. Pink. Why am I Mr. Pink? I see dead people. 1.21. Their obsession. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. No, I'm just getting warmed up. Their words. I'll ask you again. Did I urinate on your rug? I drink your milkshake. Someone else's movie. I'm a god. You're a god. I'm a god, not the god. Directors, screenwriters, actors, and film fanatics record feature-length audio commentaries for the films that changed their life. I want you to get up now. How come Andrew gets to get up? That's right. If he gets up, we'll all get up. It'll be anarchy. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! That's the sidetrack. Do you think you're out of tune? Hi, I'm Jen. I love watching horror movies. I also have PTSD, and I go to a lot of therapy. I'm Lara. I have anxiety and depression and love having the shit scared out of me. Wait, what? I'm Mike. I'm a therapist, and I love talking about horror movies and mental health. (laughs) We love horror films for how much they scare us and for how much they help us. Because we love talking about mental health, a.k.a. how crazy we are, and the role the horror genre can play in our self-care, we started a podcast called Psychoanalysis. Every episode, we talk about a movie and how it relates to a different topic in mental health and wellness, whether it's a deep dive or a shorter episode in a movie that makes us feel all warm and fuzzy. But not in a weird way. Unless we're talking about hot horror sweaters, because then it is very weird. True. Very weird. (laughs) Our episodes drop every Thursday on the Consequence Podcast Network. Listen to find out how how horror can can My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. All in the name of hope. All in the name of hope. All in the name of hope. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. Well, the lights are bright and awfully dead here in Later Land, which is where we are now uh, taking residence here in this hard crime capital of New York City. Um, Today we are here to discuss Later, which is Stephen King's newest book, uh, I believe his 62nd novel, and that doesn't include his uh, many, many, many other things. Um, You know, we're breaking, we usually go chronologically on this podcast, but we decided it's kind of fun to talk about the new books when they come out, so we are doing that with this one, and um, it's going to be a good time. Uh, Mike, why don't you say hello? Uh, Let's meet our panel here. Hello, this is Michael Marsden House Rothman. Not at all a, a sly, cheeky reference to the Marsden House. Uh, oh, I thought it was a sly, cheeky reference to CBS All Access is The Stand starring you know, James Marsden. They could go both ways. Let's just, yeah. uh, I just assume that there's a huge giant face of James Marsden at the top of the mansion watching down at them while they're <laughs> performing their na- nefarious acts. 
Uh, Mike, how did you first encounter the book Later by Stephen King? Well, you know, I grew up with this book. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it really meant a lot. You know, I saw it on my dad's nightstand. I was like, what book is this? And who is Stephen King? Uh, No, this is a a grand new book by, uh, by Stephen King. Not even a week old, really. Um, and, uh, I was able to proctor this for an advanced copy and I had an enjoyable time reading it. It was a, a breezy read the, and I think that's our key words that I'm probably going to be saying all, all throughout this episode. So it's breezy, you know, breezy. Uh, Mac, why don't you say hello? Hey, you know, my name is Mackenzie James Gerber, but tonight I'm James Mackenzie. Oh, uh, and swindler <laughs> of people's, uh, people's, uh, earnings and savings. Uh, <laughs> I first watched, watched. I first read this uh, when I got the advanced copy. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I burned through it. You know, I, it's you know, Randall mentioned a very specific thing, and I said, okay, cool, cool, cool. So I read it, and then I got to that point, and I said, I have to read the rest of this tonight. So I <laughs> sat down, and I just read the rest of the entire book that night. Uh, which that obviously is a fun will, part of this book. Go is there's it, a yeah. a really a really specific it's like when people read the third um game of thrones book mm-hmm. and no spoilers but like y- there is that scene like you know it when it happens and like when i first read it people were like well text me when you get to that scene and i kept getting to certain scenes and then texting people and, and they're like that's not it <laughs> so and then when i got to it i was just like oh okay yeah it is pretty undeniable which scene it is so uh yeah i feel like later is fun because it has one of those moments which we'll discuss a lot later um uh rachel say hello <laughs> Hello, this is Rachel. Don't call me Champ Reeves. Ooh. And I first encountered this book when it showed up in the mail that Mike, uh, he sent it to me kindly. So yeah, I read the first half in one sitting. I actually, it's funny, I had kind of the opposite of Mac here because I reached that point and I was really tired and I was like, all right, I, I need to take a moment and put mm-hmm. this down and come back when I'm like, wide awake because i can't i can't i can't do this right now (laughs) yeah yeah my experience was was similar to max and just like i kind of crawled through the beginning of it i feel like i it was like three different sittings i read like the first 150 pages probably because i was just sleepy when i was reading but then once i hit that point then it was pretty much like okay i'm finishing this tonight so uh which is fun i feel like i haven't done that with a king book in a while i mean especially coming off desperation and um regulators like those are books that especially desperation like its back half is actually really filled with a lot of exposition and like flashbacks so it wasn't that kind of book where you're kind of sprinting towards the end whereas this one uh i think that's sort of the benefit of of reading i don't know tighter king smaller king leaner king this is a 200 and what is it like 70 page book 260 Which, pages but that's yeah. including the ads in the back so it's probably around like roughly 250 yeah it's less than that because i think the page count looks like it starts yeah. like on page 20 or something it oh wow it's like really short yeah so yeah definitely one of king's smaller volumes which not no complaints here i mean yeah. i as i put in i, re- I reviewed this book for the av club as i put in there he usually stretches out his his uh his stories like taffy but this mm-hmm. one i feel like he's he's kind of you know squished it up into a tight ball which is is fun and refreshing and a, a new because there's so much here and i think that's going to be a fun thing to discuss on this one and uh we can start doing that in a little section we call the dairy public library mike hanlon if you see excuse me sir do you have prince albert in a can you do well you better let the poor guy out (laughs) 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 (laughs)
you get cleaned up? Tell him. Tell him. Tell him I'll see him tonight. Get out. Last chance, don't you? Get out. Get out. Here, we discuss the history of a book, Um, and there's not a ton of history because this book just came out, Uh, but there is some um, interesting things into at least how this story began forming in his mind. Um, It dropped in March of, or yeah, it was March (laughs) of 2021. Uh, It's his third release with Hard Case Crime, which is a hard-boiled fiction imprint uh, with whom King has also released The Colorado Kid and Joyland. As with all hard case crime books, it features throwback artwork, this time courtesy of artist Paul Mann. Um, it features a, um, you know, a buxom uh, a lady, I think, uh, Megan hanging Fox. out by a car. Or, or yeah, Isa, uh, Elza, was it Isa or Elza Gonzalez from Baby Driver? Kind of reminds oh, me of her. Oh, that's who you yeah. see. Yeah. Um, yeah, I uh, yeah, and then a, a boy, a younger boy, kind of watching her over his shoulder. He doesn't quite trust her, um, which yeah, I don't like a think is a little bratty face too. <laughs> a little bratty face. Yeah, it's kind of a jerk. But, young Kyle Chandler. Yeah, I can see that. Um, <laughs> they grew up to coach and, uh, Dylan Panthers. That's right. <laughs> Unofficial prequel. Yeah. Um, yeah, and have you guys? Has anybody here read the Colorado Kid or Joyland, or was this your first hard case crime book? This is my first. Yeah. yeah, this is yeah. my first hard case crime book. How about yeah. you, Rachel? I read Joyland. I really like Joyland. And I really liked this in a lot of ways. They're, they're a nice diversion, I think. A nice little detour that he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've read Joyland as well. And I also very much like it. I love his com- coming of age stories, which is, you know, something that I think is a benefit of this one as well. Yeah. Um, this story, however, had sort of a surprising origin. He did an interview with, it's actually a pretty boring origin, but it's also at least <laughs> yeah, kind of, say. it's like kind of interesting. It's it's kind of funny, like the way when I read this um it just kind of felt, it made me think of like, you know, a phrase I've been using lately, which is like meat and potatoes king, where mm-hmm. it's like, it doesn't sound like a huge burst of inspiration, like created this book, but more so that he's like, okay, a few elements have coalesced in my head and I have a story now. Um, he told USA Today, I wanted to write about a literary agent because I never had. Uh, one client that this agent has who is worth big bucks dies suddenly. What's she going to do about it? What if she has a kid who can see dead people and they have to answer any question that he he asked and i thought i got a story <laughs> well it's funny that he says that and, and when i read that quote it was really revelatory um in in the good kind of way because when i was reading it that's what i thought that's where i thought the seeds of the story came from because you could have made an entire book just with that story yeah oh i agree and i do i, I wonder if it's something that king or maybe like his uh his publishers have maybe joked with him about because he's clearly a cash cow for, you know, whatever publisher he's working with in any yeah. given time. And the idea that he could drop dead in the middle of a story, like, I think that's, it's a very funny concept that uh, could somebody write a Stephen King book who is not Stephen King? Um, interesting stuff. But yeah, he elaborated on on that in an interview with uh, the Associated Press. He said, he kind of told the same story. Then he goes, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to make the love relationship female. Then I thought to myself, cop. And the cop is dirty and everything fell into place. <laughs> so it's just like, it's such so like simple. a completely unsexy description for like yeah. how a story came to you. Like literally you're just sitting in a chair and your mind like goes cop, you know, you know, what? Uh, you know how I see female him. relationship. This is That's how it, it happened. This is how it happened with King. He's sitting down. It's like Monday night, right before whatever show he watches on CBS. 
and you know he has to kill time the news is on you know they already had dinner and he's just kind of you know his mind starts working he's got 45 minutes before i don't know whatever like uh what is it navy seal starts person on, of on, interest on person yeah, of interest any of his shows <laughs> any of the shows he name drops like repeatedly throughout this uh but I just see him just sitting there. He gets a let. He go through his mail that's sitting there also that Tabby left. You know that you know it's just like with with a post note saying like you you, you got to open these. So he finally opens it. It's like his you know his agent from years ago sees the, the the agent letter. While this is happening, you know stories about the news and the riots and 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 cops being bad. You know he puts it all together. And uh, I think before whatever show, let's just go with Navy Seals. I like to imagine King watching <laughs> Navy Seals and being like that. Boreanaz has still got it. Um, so this is a current show. This, it's Boreanaz. a current show right now. I thought you were Navy talking Seals. about the Michael Byan movie from like nineteen. 19- no, 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 no. Boreanaz but, is still very much alive. Oh yeah, King, he's David Boreanaz should have played Randall Flagg in the in the CBS All Access. Well, you know, in our in, in our world, really? he does. But I, I just imagine this is how he came up with it, and he did all the twists and turns while he was, you know, sitting there, you know, matriculating these thoughts as he was waiting for Navy Seals to begin. And the next morning, he knocked out the book in an hour. That's kind of how I feel he got the, that. That I hear that that is story. exactly what happened from my sources. So yeah. good job. Yeah. You know, so yeah, not a ton of history there, but it is interesting. I think what's interesting to me about this is is its classification as like a hard case crime book. Um, yeah. I have a good feeling that... Uh, I don't know that he either ha- was contractually obligated to provide another one or maybe <laughs> just kind of like wanted to work with them again and was like, hey, there is crime in this book. I don't know if it's a crime novel. Uh, and like he even has this character say multiple times, this is a horror story. Yeah. Uh, so I just find it kind of funny that it's under this imprint, like whereas the other like Colorado Kid obviously is probably the most suited uh, to this imprint and their thrust which is basically to sort of evoke the you know crime grimy pulp paperbacks of yore uh through both design and content but uh yeah joyland i think was even a little bit of a stretch for for it although i think it still fits it better this feels to me like it's a horror novel you know like but i think lengthwise and uh the fact that there is a dirty cop perhaps and a and a filthy drug dealer is enough to to qualify it as a hard case crime book don't you think it's it's interesting though that like whenever he tries to do these side tangents in his career, he inevitably winds up in the same type of fiction that he does as Stephen King. Like you look yeah. at Richard Bachman and like what's the book that outed him for the most part, or when was he outed? It was right with Thinner. Thinner yeah. is a Stephen yeah. King book. Like that's not a Richard Bachman book, and it's like he progressively got more no, and more it came like out, Stephen King. It came King. out as as Bachman book. I know it did. It did, but it's. <laughs> It's, it was right around the time that everyone knew that it was Stephen King. And it's just like yeah. the same thing happens here where he starts out where he's like, all right, hard, hard boiled. I'm going to give you some, some hard boiled fiction. And then inevitably he just starts doing a Stephen King book again. <laughs> it's yeah. like he well, can't escape that himself. This was going to be a situation where halfway through it was going to take a turn and become more of a horror novel. But it's like right out the gate. Yeah. <laughs> it's like chapter one, like I see dead people, like, you know, I, and this is, you know, like Sixth Sense and da 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 in more ways than one. And it's but, almost uh, like that. Yeah. It's almost like the opposite, too. It's like he got to the end and was like, oh, shoot, I have to put some crime stuff in here. So, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to make this, this get, you know, this. Yeah, Jimmy this gangster. Yeah. yeah. Like, we got to put it in right at the end. See, crime. I know. It. And like all and we'll talk about it more later. But like the photos he finds mm-hmm. of like the torture and yeah. uh, the drugs and the pills and all this stuff and ball gags. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, you're kind of like backloading this whole thing in terms yeah. of true crazy crime. You know? He really is. Uh, 
<laughs> so yeah, a few other quotes uh, King has had about later. He's done a few interviews about it. Um, USA Today was probably the most illuminating one, but he said, talking about the lead character, Jamie, who is a child who has a talent where he can essentially see dead people. Um, he says, the thing that interested me the most about Jamie was this is a talent that he was born with, and he kind of accepts it as just part of his worldview, the way that you would if you were born with a club foot or born blind. You would become used to that situation because you'd not known anything different. It's not like, say, Johnny Smith from The Dead Zone, who is an ordinary guy, and then he has this accident, and he wakes up, and he's got this ability to see the future. Um... And then he also addressed, uh, you know, the idea of him writing these thrillers and mysteries. And it's kind of fun because you can sort of see King's insecurity, I think, that he's probably heard some people say, like, stick to horror, buddy, you know, because he's becoming a little bit self-deprecating about it. So he goes, well, I'm not very good at mystery. And that's okay as far as I'm concerned. Alfred Hitchcock used to say, if a bomb blows up, everybody has one second of horror. But if the audience sees the bomb under the table, they're going to be terrified for five minutes and wonder exactly when it's going to blow up. So I'm interested in the suspense elements. I always liked that when I was a kid. Um, and then similarly, he kind of, if we're talking about the self-deprecating King, he also kind of acknowledges that he's gotten, like, he's still great at writing kids, but when it comes to sort of capturing the language of kids and perhaps what they're interested in, he's still a bit behind. He said, um, things have changed in the real world uh, that I have to try to keep up with. I'm always four or five steps behind and readers notice that I grew up in a world that didn't have cell phones or computers or video games and kids. That's a part of their world. The same way that Jamie being able to see and talk to dead people is a part of his world. So it's just kind of funny. I like, I feel like we don't often get to hear like self-deprecating King. And here it's like, I put, I added in my notes. It sounds like he's listening to our pod because I feel like whenever he, uh, he tries to have in his modern books, at least, tries to have his kids talk about pop culture it always feels really cringe yeah. um yeah. Like, like the institute the, especially yeah i was gonna say the institute when they're all talking about the latest you know rihanna single yeah like, all right come on <laughs> come i will on, say man. to his credit <laughs> and this is something i was thinking about while i was reading this one and and even to a lesser extent uh, elevation he does a good job in trying to keep it current and in the pulse of today. And I, I got to give him credit for that. You know, like we do forget that he is over 70 years old, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. Like this is, you know, a 70 something writing a kid's point of view from the aughts, you know, yeah. when he was what in right. his late fifties at that point, I got to applaud him. He's, he does a pretty good job in that respect. I feel, you know, like even though I do groan and I'm going to groan many times at the, the pop culture references, I still buy that this is a kid from that era, you know? Like, yeah. So, yeah, I can I can believe that I have some fun, fun misery later in terms of perhaps when it doesn't ring that way. But I think overall, the arc, mm -hmm. he's always known how to write kids and he's always known how to write, uh, you know, about kids who are sort of who sort of like can't avoid being swept up in the drama of the adults around them and the ways that they he filters that sort of, you know, the problems of adults and the, the inner complexities of adults through the eyes of a child. And I think he does that really well here. Um, one last quote. I watched him on Good Morning America. You know, that Michael Strahan, really good interviewer. I've never watched it before. You guys know who that is? Oh, yeah. Great guy. Football player, right? Football yeah. player. Look, I don't watch. That's a that's an era of TV I do not watch. But I gotta say, Michael Strahan, Money in the Bank. This guy, this guy knows how to do it. We should tell him that they should resign. Oh, we should write, we write to him. <laughs> I should write to him. Great job, man. Um, uh, so, um, Good Morning America. Uh, Steve, Stephen King goes. 
Well, I think um, uh, Michael Strand was like, well, you know, this book's got crime, it's got horror, it's got a little bit of everything. So what what do you what would you call it? And Stephen King goes, I call it stew. And Michael Strahan really enjoyed that. He kept every time King would come back to the book, Michael Strahan would be like, ah, you're stew, you know. Like he's good. He's a good interviewer, man. Like he knows <laughs> he keeps ca- coming back to it. Keeps cutting back to King. He's like, yeah, my stew. <laughs> <laughs> Um, like, let's go. Let's roll. It wasn't. It wasn't the deepest interview, but um, like King was kind of discussing this idea of having a special ability that perhaps you're a little bit ashamed of, or something like that. And he said, uh, "When I was a kid, I had a huge imagination, and I was afraid to let people know that because they'd think I was weird. I tried to keep that a secret. The little boy in my book has been able to do this since he can remember. He takes it for granted. It's his mother who says, Jamie, you need to be careful about this.' So, not a great quote, obviously, but Michael." Strand still did a great job in the interview and I just want to say thanks Michael for everything um I can't wait to watch more interviews with you and maybe Stephen King um so well you can see him uh, as a co-host of ABC's Good Morning America and uh also he's a football analyst on Fox NFL Sunday so hey we got to get him on the pod we'll see you Sunday Michael hey Michael you want to talk about the Tommyknockers with us (laughs) I will say uh speaking to what you were talking about earlier about uh keeping it current, uh, you know, even though he's much older now. And uh, I think something he did in this book that I actually appreciated more was seeing a lot of Jamie's, um, the way he speaks and his affectations and just different things like are really kind of things that he takes from his mother. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's kind of like, I almost was really giving a lot of that stuff a pass when he was talking in that kind of way or saying certain things. I was kind of like, yeah, I guess, you, you know, I everybody picks up things from like the people they grew up with. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I kind of gave it more of a pass because, you know, it, it covers him over such a, a, a strange span of time, too. So yeah. it's like he's not just like this little kid. Right. Know, I don't know. But no, I, uh, yeah, I thought, I thought that was a little bit more, I don't know, made it more, a little bit more palatable, but. I agree, sure. Mac. I mean, when my dad used to come home, it would be like really oh, tiring God. days, and he would just sit there and he'd put his hand his hands in his face, and then I would sit next to him, and I would do his his moves, and I would. And then of- I I I would stand in the doorway, and I'd really admire like the connection you two were making at the dinner table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a really touching moment, and um, you know that's why we we always cry when we watch Jaws, you know, because we're like, God, it's just yeah, like when we grew yeah. up. Same. Oh my God. Same thing All happens right. in that movie. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> All right, let's move on and talk All about right. the critical reception to later, which at least so far has been mostly positive. Um, the New York Times said later is yet another example of King's talent in building stories out of the materials of his choosing. And like so many of his creations, it's remarkable how well the thing holds together. The pace and ease of reading, the ratio of familiar to new. Um, so he's essentially saying sometimes King books feel like the cobblings of many different ideas. Yeah. And King is usually pretty good at bringing those together, which is fun because that's actually a big discussion on our regulators episode, which I believe comes out next week or uh, in two weeks relatively soon. And um, is, is that general idea of an idea from here, an idea from here, an idea from here and smoosh them together. And I think this book, um, I agree with the New York times in the sense that I think that that works pretty well. Uh, the review adds, um, 
And a bit, this is more of the critical aspect of it. They say, despite its early assurance to the contrary, later is like that movie with Bruce Willis. Sixth Sense. But beyond the superficial similarities, sensitive kids, single mother, talking to dead people, the emotional core of King's story, in particular the parent-child relationship at its center, is also reminiscent of M. Night Shyamalan's. Whereas the movie evokes uh, the depth of feeling through stillness and restraint, King's novel is more effusive, stating things that could have remained unsaid. Hey, that actually suits the themes, uh, which we'll talk Mm -hmm. about more later. And then uh, the horror author Stephen Graham Jones reviewed it for the Washington Post. Um, And, you know, it's kind of wild. I feel like having a horror, like a kind of a, you know, a a currently successful, moderately successful horror writer review King is kind of like having like, I don't know, some mid-tier basketball player like review Michael Jordan or something. Like if I was a, if I was like a horror writer, I wouldn't be criticizing Stephen King in the pages of the Washington Post, (laughs) lest he send his armies after me. Um, so, but anyways, it's a very good review. Uh, Jones writes, King's writing in later is as clean, direct, and evocative as it's ever been. The short to the point chapters make for quick reading. The crime driven plot is propulsive involving guns, drugs, bombs, and kidnapping. But more importantly, some of the lines just take your breath away. So, uh, yeah, the last line, that last line there is kind of lame. I agree. Say Max Jones. face. <laughs> Could have done better than that. You know, I, I the, that's very misleading. I was like, I mean, yeah, there's bombs and guns and things, but not not as much as you make it, you yeah. make it sound like Die Hard with a Vengeance. Right? <laughs> it's a little much. I, I agree that I think it's clean, direct, and evocative. I go, uh, and like, it's quick reading. I stop there, Jones. You failed yeah. me. You failed. I think he's trying to get a get a dinner date with uh, Cy King. Yeah. But hey, who can blame him? Uh, the Associated Press called it a thrilling whodunit. Um, Wordy. Which, Classic. Yeah. Yeah, and then I, the AV Club, as written oh, by wow. Randall Colburn, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I included some bits here, and uh, I'll be drawing upon a lot of them, but I, I said, Later's big gushy heart beats for uh, Tia and Jamie's bond, which is sweet, offbeat, and not without its secrets. King has always had a knack for funneling the complicated inner realities of adults through the eyes of children, and some of Later's most affecting passages find Jamie piecing together his mother's struggles via empty wine bottles and scraps of overheard chatter. And then uh, I... I, I compared it spiritually to um, uh, One for the Road, uh, the Salem's Lot kind of spinoff, and uh, the titular tale from last year's If It Bleeds. Then I said, narratively, however, later recalls recent King novellas like Gwendy's Button Box and Mr. Harrigan's Phone, simple stories that wrap a complex moral choice in a character's supernatural ability. Well said. uh, Yeah, thank you. I'll be elaborating on those thoughts later. Um, but yeah, before we do that, let's pop, let's read a synopsis of this one. I've got the, uh, usually we read synopses from several different editions of King books, but since there's only this one, uh, we will read this one. Mac, why don't you read the synopsis here? Uh, I've got to pull it up. Oh, okay. Mac's well, not going to do it. <laughs> All right. Mike, well, you read it. I got it. The son of well, a struggling <laughs> single mother, Jamie Conklin, just wants an ordinary childhood. Do you have it, Mac? I mean, I had the book. I thought you like wrote something else in the in the thing that you sent. I, I, I think it's the same it thing. Says. Yeah, it's the same thing. You want to read okay. the you want to read the next line? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Do it sent by, sentence by sentence. Okay. Um, wait, you did the first sentence. Yeah, I did the second. I did the first one. Yeah. <laughs> but Jamie is no ordinary child. Born with an unnatural ability, his mom urges him to keep secret. Jamie can see what no one else can see and learn what no one else can learn. But the cost of using this ability is higher than Jamie can imagine, as he discovers when an NYPD detective draws him into the pursuit of a killer who has threatened to strike from beyond the grave. Later, 
is Stephen King at his finest, a terrifying and touching story of innocence lost and the trials that test our sense of right and wrong with echoes of King's classic novel, It. Later is a powerful, haunting, unforgettable exploration of what it takes to stand up to evil in all the faces it wears. Did Stephen Graham Jones that write that there? synopsis? Yeah, I know, right? He was probably just like, Stephen, come and hang out with me. I'm, I'm at Sabaro in Times Square. <laughs> it is interesting they call it Echoes of It, where it's more, I don't know if it's echoes necessarily. I think it's uh, direct references. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, I, was like, I was like, this doesn't feel like that book at all. I'm like, that That would maybe be an echo, but like, this is a direct sequel. They've been leaning <laughs> on anything. <laughs> you know to what to mean? be like, fair, they have been leaning on It ever since that movie just did Juggernaut Business in 2017. Like, they were like likening the Institute to that. I'm pretty sure they referenced like. Oh, yeah, no, they did do that remember, with the Institute. I think even in with like The Outsider, they were kind of like, oh, the most, you know, deadliest villain since It or something like that. You know, it's just. They're going to they're yeah, gonna capitalize this is, on it. This is. This is a direct link, though. I mean, so. I mean there is a direct link. So it's like, there well, is. why would you even put that in there? Because what a spoiler alert! <laughs> like, I know. If you didn't know. know, like you'd be maybe even you'd maybe be looking for something. Well, it's just trying to get you know, you know the folks that like saw it in theaters and they're like, man, that fucking movie was great, and I really want, I love the kid from Stranger Things. And then you know, like <laughs> a year later, they're walking around, you know, in the store and they see it sitting there, and like, oh wow, what's this, Stephen King? And they say they see it, and they're like, well, I like that movie, so I'm going to read this book. Thanks 100%. for breaking down marketing 101, Mike. <laughs> it's a buzzword. So after, it's a Stephen King buzzword. It really is. It's more than The Shining now, which so is crazy. So you're saying after it came out and was a hit, the publications tried to draw on on that? Yeah. Like in, in some of the synopsis on the back of the books and things? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. They were huh. probably like, this is okay. a big movie that made a lot of money at the box office and quite possibly we could make money. At, at our book company, if we lean it'd on be f- It'd be funny if they said, soon to be a major motion picture starring oh. Finn Wolfhard. Finn Wolfhard. <laughs> I, can see like, the, I can see the production, uh, the, the publisher's like, hey, this crime novel that you gave us later, is, it's, it's, really, you know, it's really interesting, it's really good, it's really good. What if the clown prince <laughs> it made an appearance and he's like well uh you know that uh the the hard case crime uh, uh novels are supposed to be more crime and they're like yeah 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 yeah, yeah. but it you know, like, um, we just we love big, that billy Skarsgård, and we want him in the book so so mike you had been buzzing a little bit about a possible sequel to it before yeah. this book it was revealed that there is a direct tie to it you i don't know were you lurking message boards where were you yeah. hearing this news so i scour uh reddit threads all the time so if you shit on our podcast i'll read it um but um <laughs> no 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 uh all joking aside they're great it's probably one of the best reddit su- subreddits that's out there just because everyone is you know hyper intelligent hyper literate and everyone's pretty accepting of uh, the opinion but one of the big recurring threads that I it didn't matter whenever you stumble on there you'll see it within you know the the next five or ten posts in the front page was talk about an it sequel and it's just been circulating for a couple years now and I remember the lead up to the institute uh there was a lot of chatter but then I think most people thought that was actually gonna be more of a link to Firestarter and then after the institute um, leading into like if it bleeds and in a couple other uh, projects that we've been hearing about this uh, this summer, uh, like Billy Summers uh, and and this one, there was a lot of conjecture of like, well, is this the one that we keep hearing about? You know, there are all these like sources that are saying he's doing a sequel to it. I don't know if it came from mostly film chatter of them 
you know, when Warner Brothers wanted a sequel or, or whatnot. But there were a lot. I mean, there was a lot of gravitas to what people were hearing and reading about and which is why so many people were talking about it. And I think this probably was it. I can't imagine, oh, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say, I think and I don't know about y'all and I know we'll probably talk about this in a specific section, but I was very glad that this was done in the way that it was done. Like, it's like, okay, yeah, here's a follow-up, but, you know, we're not bringing back old man, you know, <laughs> whoever from it to come, you know what I mean? Like, it was a... It Wait, was who a, do you mean? A, Who's the old man in it? Bill Dembro? I was trying to think of Ben I was trying to think of Hanscom. I couldn't come up with the name. But he, like, walks like, by, he's like, you like that building? <laughs> you know, I just, I think this is a smart way to continue that idea of it without tarnishing it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I, I mean? Agree. Because it was like, it didn't really, because the way that they approached that thing in this, it really, it could totally stand on its own. You totally. don't, you don't need to have read it to understand or, or be scared by this version or this. I mean, we'll get into all that, but, um, but I, yeah. I like that this was the kind of sequel thing we got. Cause I think if we get a direct sequel and it's not any good, you know, right. like no one needs that. Like just like, this was an interesting way to kind of, Sort of back into that story again. Yeah, I think I, I I I liked it too. Just I think it was it was genuinely surprising because also it came in a hard case crime book, which I guess weirdly I just didn't. I I, I kind of see these books as little rafts, you know, like they're little, like they're not part of the the mid world, you know, like they're not part of the gunslinger universe. These these feel to me like not sort anymore, of. Baby. Um, what was that? I said not anymore. Baby. I know not anymore, which is wild. <laughs> I just always, I guess, I always thought that these were going to be these sort of self-contained, um, you know, hard-boiled novels that would, you know, in a, in a way, feel like Bachman books. Like, like in a way, they feel like they're by a different author. Um, mm. And so, I guess the idea of the Stephen King multiverse like emerging in a book like this, it was so surprising to me. Well, the thing um, that's surprising in that is, and there was already chatter on discord about this, um, but it, it would take place on Keystone earth, you know, which I guess mm-hmm. still is part of the Stephen King multiverse, which by its nature is very strange to be part of the hard boiled fiction. Um, but that's what I thought was an interesting diversion. You know, like the fact that he, he, you know, talks about the Shawshank redemption as a movie in this yeah. book kind of stresses the point that this isn't like the actual King's Dominion that would be in, the, I guess it would be in the Dark Tower still because it would just be the Keystone Earth. But I guess yeah. that was his way of showing the distinction of like, all right, this is hard-boiled crime. This doesn't take place in the same It universe then because if it is well, in Keystone Earth, it wouldn't be in It, right? Like, Well, I think... I think it's Sorry, this is getting nerdy. but No, no, I think it's important to understand that this is clearly like a different dimension slash you know, beam or whatever. And that, that this isn't, I didn't, I did not think by the end of this, I did not think that this was it from it. I just thought, cool. Another Dandelo esque creature, same properties, but, but, but goes, but goes about things differently because Mm -hmm. the way that he interacts with Jamie is very different. Like, you know, he's Mm -hmm. almost tamed all of a sudden and like all these different things that happen. It was like, that would not be what what it would do. You know no. what I mean? Like, I mean, he turns into a Pokemon. Know, basically. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so it's like I I I feel like there's a tie there, but I don't think it's a direct direct tie. I just think this is another. Even the way that it takes over the character, yeah, uh, is is different. 
I so it's like I, I just think oh go for it Rachel. oh i was just, i think that's what's so interesting about it is that it is just similar enough to make those comparisons but like what matt mm-hmm. was saying it's like it operates different in this universe yeah. so it's it's present in both of these kind of these king universes that are created but it operates in a slightly different way and right. yeah I, I loved it and i wasn't expecting it to be honest i didn't really know much about this going in and i did not read the synopsis going in on the back so i did not even <laughs> oh, see the yeah. echoes of it so when that happened uh, yeah. yeah it it i was like all right we're, we're game on it's, i had a similar experience in just yeah. that i hadn't read the synopsis before i read the book like i i had i had read the one that was sent out by like publishers but that one didn't have the echoes of it in yeah. it yeah though it's the book itself that has it and i i didn't read the synopsis before i read the book so yeah. it was uh so yeah i had like a, it was a really fun jarring moment of surprise so i yeah which i i i don't get too often in yeah. things and i it like kind of said i think it's kind of like when really big marvel fans like watch a movie and you know captain america cameos in a, in a movie and they're so excited because they weren't expecting that that's in, like you know king's multiverse is my marvel verse you know yeah. so <laughs> it's um so for me to get a pennywise adjacent sort of creature in this world was super exciting for me on that nerd level you know but to your point about him making efforts to, to actually wield in his own universe in this hard-boiled fiction i mean these are very deliberate choices and he's yeah. not only just you know this isn't just like a hey, let's just throw in Chud to, to reference Chud. Like, not only is it in service to the actual story itself and to the heart of the themes, but then you think about, like, the spider web of references it's wedged within, you know, in this book. Like, mm-hmm. I've been talking about and joking on the text threads and even on Discord about the idea that, like, King is trolling his readers here, and I don't think that's too far-fetched to say. I mean, there's just, like, a list of things that he does in this book that seem, like, almost, like, tongue-in-cheek references like oh you were expecting this within this king's dominion i've already opened the door that this this idea of the connections to king's dominion are here i'm gonna have fun with you and play with your mind a little bit with some of these little like kind of token examples and i and i and i wonder if that's either a just him having fun with his own universe or b trying to have a commentary on just like the world we live in now where like ip is so important to every you know, original story or any type of product that it's being made today. Like you have to have references, you have to have connections, you have to have, you know, some sort of tie or, you know, reference that, that people can kind of thread out on the internet. Cause then it'll make it buzzed and it'll hype. And so I wonder if there was some sort of subtle commentary on his end about that, because I, it's all over this book. I mean, I even think he's definitely, I think he's definitely having fun. Yeah. Um, but he's always kind of had interconnectivity with a lot of books. You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> I get ran through the, you know, I, I, I get ran through the dirt uh, whenever I bring up another like 19, you yeah. know, like and everything. <laughs> but it's true. Like he does. And on almost everything, there's always a connection. But I definitely think that he's probably playing with that a little bit here. I don't think... I don't think if he, if he was feeling like I have to do this because this is what people want, I don't think we ever would have seen it the creature it show up again or or, or, yeah. or dandelo or whatever you know what i mean like I, I so i think even if he believes that i think he's still kind of on board with it <laughs> i think he likes the world building and i think that's all all marvel's done has probably you know he's probably looked at that and been like i'm on the right track yeah well i think because like, everything's said, interconnected and, and yeah. you can you know everybody likes that so right. i'm just gonna keep building on it and why not bring this character back uh, it's almost been, I mean, I, Justin and I were trying to figure this out. 
it was close to 27 years. So I was like, maybe it is it. Yeah. <laughs> if you do the math, but I, I don't think it works out because we looked into the uh, season finales of French. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> they mentioned it in the book. And I was like, yeah. okay, well then it had to have been this time and nope. <laughs> that's, yeah. funny. that's a good point that's a good point <laughs> well, well we'll probably discuss this the whole you know well i mean we'll go more in depth with uh the the use of the deadlights here and uh, this sort of dandelion creature a little bit further but let's pivot over to discuss the hook ah yes don't you see don't you see how clear it all is not only can you see the future you can i can change it You can change it, exactly. Here in The Hook, we discuss what themes are abundant in this book. What are we taking away from it? What And what is sort of the way in here? Um, the way in, I think, in a lot of ways would be it's the sixth sense, you know, even though uh, he tells us straight up at the beginning of the book, not like the Bruce Willis movie. So, but here we have this young boy who can see dead people. And I think the twist, and it's one that I really like, is that it's not exciting for Jamie. Jamie is not stoked to have these powers nor is he necessarily burdened by them he simply exists in a world where he sees uh dead people and he sees them you know covered in wounds he see so that's obviously horrifying to him but the thing is the ghosts don't care about him they ignore him they are mostly disinterested in him but he discovers that if he does speak to them they tell him the truth they always tell him the truth so king sort of lays out that this book has very specific rules right at the beginning. I have all of them listed if you if you want them. Yeah, <laughs> read them all. Yeah, so this is a section of new rules. Uh, <laughs> so the, the first one is dead people look just like living people, except they're always wearing the clothes they died in. That's the first rule that's, that's, that's given. Creepy. Second one is they have to tell the truth when they're dead. Uh, the third rule is that they eventually fade. Uh, and one of the other rules is uh, they know when Jamie sees them. Uh, which actually leads to kind of a tonally odd moment in the book. But um, they can feel hate. And in fact, he argues that hate makes them stronger, which means that most of the time, if you do end up seeing a ghost, they are scary because they are angry and filled with hate and they are scary. Um, He estimates that the debt goes away after a week for the most part. Um, the average ghost. Uh, he says that the the living dead or the living can feel the dead subconsciously, and we see that multiple times in this story, which actually leads to some fun moments. Um, and uh, there are some other presumed rules of the the celestial being that comes later on that we call thrill. But um, oh, and then the last one, and you'll like this, Mac, because you love when animals uh, can link with humans. The dogs <laughs> can see the dead. So. That's right. Yeah, we that's all I got. A, we almost had a cooge appearance in this other world. This oh, it would have been great. Which yeah. the dogs can see the dead is not the the first time he's done that. He did that with you know spoiler alert for Under the Dome. That's a, there's a certain corgi that can see ghosts in that book. So um, I don't um, remember that from Under the Dome, but I haven't yeah. read it in a very long time. Well, uh, the rules are interesting. I remember being annoyed at them at first because it felt. You know, it felt lazy in a way. It felt like the writer trying to say, um, this is what works best for my narrative. So I am going to enforce these rules that apply to all dead people and spiritual beings that this boy has developed. But what's fun about later that I really enjoy is that the rules are eventually subverted, uh, which is very true because, you know, this kid is developing rules because it's his way of understanding what it is that he's, uh, you know, seeing and processing. And so there is some kind of 
like are we pronouncing his name? I don't know the exact pronunciation of the bomber. Is it Therio or Thoreau? I thought it was I was just calling him Thoreau. Thoreau pronouncing the whole thing. <laughs> Rachel, what's your what's your? I think uh, I was saying wording? like Terio or something. <laughs> we can call him Thumper because I was. Thumper. Yeah, let's go with. Thumper. Yeah, let's call him Thumper. Thumper's right. the bomber. Good. So Thumper, when he emerges, so this is this you know uh, bomber who ended up. How did he die exactly? Do we remember? It was. He uh, uh, killed himself, right? Yeah, yeah he yeah. killed himself, yeah. and so park, uh, but. He basically all the rules kind of get broken with him when Jamie sees him because he's toying with Jamie. And when Jamie presses him further for the truth, uh, the sort of they have to tell the truth rule, it goes on because he does eventually reveal where the bomb is that Jamie's trying to discover. But this but the thing is, this ghost is not fading. Um, Thumper is following him and stalking him and waiting outside of his window and waiting for him in elevators. And it's clear that there is something malevolent about this particular ghost that even though he succumbs to some of the rules that Jamie's established, it's very clear that whatever, you know, that the understanding that Jamie has of the spiritual world with which he has a link is flawed. It's not completely fully, you know, he doesn't have full control over it, which is to me one of the more exciting aspects of the book, which is King sort of lulling us into this sense of comfort that we understand the ghost too, but then uh, kind of turning it on our heads and making us feel as threatened by Thumper as as Jamie does. So, um, yeah, I thought that was really smart because I felt the same way. Not that I felt kind of, you know, hey, you know, what are you, why are you creating these rules? It's, that's, that's kind of ridiculous. But in the fact that when things don't go that way, it was really unsettling. I was like, oh, I know that he posits later on that, you know, the, the Dandelo thing. I, what are we going to, they're just going to call him the Dandelo thing? They just call him the, de- the Deadlight, the Deadlight. Or the Deadlights. That yeah. the Deadlight, you know, entered uh, Thumper's body when he struggled to tell the truth, when he was trying, to not go the route of you know you're this is your ghost you're supposed to do this that that's when the, the deadlight entered him and then that's why he stuck around and did all these things because it wasn't he wasn't in control anymore it wasn't just a normal ghost but but it doesn't matter because like you said Randall he's so young when he's coming up with all these rules and that's all he's experienced mm-hmm. we don't you know what I mean he hasn't you know we don't know what he's gonna see or what kind of dead people do what you know down the line. And I think yeah. some of that stuff does shift a little bit, like like especially at the end, when yeah. when Donnie Biggs is like forcing himself to disappear because he doesn't want to be around during the reveal that he was this really awful human being. You know, oh, like yeah. they have some control that you don't realize that either. So that was kind of cool too. Yeah. 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 It, I oh go ahead, Rachel. I was just gonna say. I mean, it tracks with the fact that this is a kid and this is a kid figuring it out and trying to, like you said, make sense of what's happening, and. You know, as mm-hmm. you get older, you, you you know, you you think you know everything. I'm sure I'm not the only kid whose parents <laughs> told him like, oh, you think you know everything? Just you wait. Like, um, yep. <laughs> you know, so it's just your your worldview shifts and changes as you learn more. And I think that it, this was a really interesting way of showing that in Jamie's yeah. un- own unique way. Yeah, it's a cool it's a cool mode of sort of adding a, a I don't know, like a cool supernatural touch to a coming of age story, because, yeah. you know, when you are young, you do think you have it all figured out. You think that, you know, the rules that you've set, everybody's going to abide by them. And that's the hard part of getting older is they don't. And you have to readjust and you have to compromise and things of that nature. But 
But yeah, King does a really good job, I think, here of also showing how those rules are true in many instances. We get a couple cool sort of, you know, small minor stories that that help build the narrative where first um, the wife of Tia and Jamie's neighbor, this uh, man, Professor Burkett, his wife dies and um, basically... They can't find what is it? Her ring, uh, like her, her jewelry, wedding yeah. her wedding yeah. ring. Yeah, and um, so Jamie's able to, you know, ask the woman where are the rings, and then is able to tell his mother where they are. And it's sort of, you know, oh, so this is how his ability can be useful. And then that is expanded upon with the idea that birthed the novel, which is what if this cash cow writer dies, and he's only a few chapters into his novel, and um, basically. You know, King sets up this whole story where the T.S. publishing company is falling apart, big money troubles, they need this book, so they find the ghost, she trusts her son that he can actually do this thing, and then he uh, basically milks the story out of um, this author and writes down every plot point because the guy's got it all mapped out, and then Tia goes on and writes it herself. Um, So those are, I think, really entertaining and fun ways to set up those rules, and I think those are the things that kind of lull us into um, that sense of comfort, because what I like about this book is there's humor baked into that. You know, like Jamie doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to talk to this ghost and get all these plot details of this, like, you know, raunchy Bodus Ripper um, historical fiction novel um, that this guy writes. He has no interest in that, but it's sort of his burden. And I think that, you know, setting the kind of uh, exasperated nature of the, you know, preteen um, in this world, juxtaposing that with this sort of supernatural homework that he has to do uh, to help out his mom is, is, is funny and it's fresh. It's something that I feel like I haven't seen before, especially in a King book. So. Yeah. I mean, he, he does a strange inversion, you know, like he starts out this book with, with such a punchy uh, familial tone. And again, for the most part, he carries it out to the end. <laughs> But I think the seeds and the origin of the story are diametrically opposed to like where it ends up, you know, like this could have just been, if you think about it, like the first episode could have been kind of like a tongue in cheek, almost elevation style book where it's just like him and his mom are trying to figure out this novel together. And, you know, she finds her voice and, you know, she's able to complete this novel and save her company. And maybe she writes her other novel on the side and the two of them, you know, did it together. And there's this great bond that they have. That's and her name was Stephen that, that King. That coming of age story could have gone. <laughs> and her name was Stephen King. Yeah. And then, you know, it builds on that and you get more episodes. And then as the episodes go on, you realize that like, while yes, this is still a relationship, you know, this is a story about, you know, a boy and his mother, but man, does King really, f- this might be, you know, to, you know, hats off to him in terms of him stacking up on his narrative and just kind of letting it go and being by the, you know, the, the fly of the seat of his pants. Like he kind of takes us to a really just surprising area and in a tone that I, you just do not expect from the beginning. And granted he, you know, Jamie says throughout the whole thing, like, this is a horror story. This is a horror story, but this becomes so much more than even horror. I mean, this is <laughs> becomes like a fucking Polanski movie by the end of this. I mean, it's just like, you know, when you really think about where the arc goes to. And I don't know. It's it's kind of um it's interesting where he's able to take this and take what could have been a a a, a balmy coming of age story into something that is still a coming of age story, but it's uh it's on a different track. <laughs> yeah. Know? That was a question I had for all of you, because, you know, he says over and over again, this is a horror story. This is a horror story. And I mean, just getting your opinion, like, is this a horror story? Because to me, 
maybe it is, but not in the traditional sense. Yeah. Like, like to me, this speaks way more to like anxiety and, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. mental illness and the fears that you have being a parent and interpreting those as a child. And so, yes, those are all really scary, horrific things, but I don't know if horror story is how I would describe it. Well, I think when you have all this like prestige horror out here, like hereditary and all this stuff, you know, like I think it, yeah, I think when he was saying that at the beginning, I wasn't thinking, oh, this is just going to be, you know, just jump scares and this and this and that, you know, because it doesn't go that way. And it becomes very much about dread, uh, especially when Thumper starts like following him. And it's just kind of like this thing that never leaves you. And it's just like, you know, it, it gave me that it follows feeling, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like this, like it's always going to be there kind of thing. Like doesn't like is never going to go away. And that that was kind of scary. I always think of like this, the 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 um, tagline for Zodiac, like there's more than one way to lose your life to a serial yeah. killer. Yeah. And it's true. Like, you know, like, um, but yeah, it, it's 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 not it's not typical. And maybe that's why it's under the hard crime <laughs> case, you <laughs> well, know, banner, because it's not your typical Stephen King horror, even though there are elements of that in this. Well, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, like the prestige horror banner, Mac, because I think that's kind of where he does take it. Because if you look at like the the two themes that are going on here, I mean, you have a lot of it's it's not per, it's not generational trauma per se, but it's very similar to that in the sense that, you know, where this leads to with this, you know, the, the themes of incest and, and, and what's going on with, uh, the, you know, the, all the, the stuff that's happened within the family, you know, that, that is a, a different type of trauma, you know, and then, then you would have expected from the first pages of this book. And when he says like, this is, you know, this is a horror story, especially where the tone is and the fact that he's referencing things like, you know, like six sense and, you know, things are a little tongue in cheek there in the beginning. Like, where he lands this is in a place that's more profane than I thought it would be. You know, like even like the character of Thumper, like Thumper is not just your down below average, you know, run of the mill villain. Like granted, he's bringing back the deadlight. He's bringing back the, the, the celestial being that is it. But what Thumper represents is something far more, far more um, impactful and, and, and more thematic than most of his monsters are. I mean, like if you couple the idea that, the whole arc leads to this revelation, you know, for Jamie. And so much of that deals with the, the quote unquote, like generational trauma, this idea that things are being passed on to him, that he's going to have to live with this. Then his, you know, his offspring will probably have to live. It kind of so changes the whole Mike, trajectory of the family thing. Let's just like explain. Cause we haven't said what that ending is. Like what is yeah. the rel, rel the well, I, sort I, of the realization is that he finds out, in the epilogue and this is a really jarring moment mm-hmm. and our just watching our discord um sort of react to it in real time has been really fascinating because jamie essentially discovers that he is a child of incest yes. that his uncle is also his father and um so mike continue what you were saying so yeah so like when you take that revelation and you pair it with the the concept of what thumper is to him because by the end Thumper's out there you know, this 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 thing that he's had on his back that he's that he's contended with, that he thought that he battled, that he thought that he was able to overpower is now out there. And mm-hmm. the idea that this thing, this 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 tulpa almost this it's a the, the, the tulpa manifestation of this trauma that he has to live with. It, there's there are parallels there. And that's kind of what I took as Thumper. It's like, yes, he says that he's going to have to contend with, you know, this beast and he's going to have to do the ritual chud again. But what he's really talking about is this revelation at the end, 
You know, it's it's really like, well, I'm gonna have to live with this. And it's almost like King's wisely found a found, found a way to to take both sides of his narrative and take it to this elevated place that I just did not expect. And that's kind of how I took it. That that that's why I could, took it as like, it is a horror story, but yeah, it it has like a, a more um, thematic, uh, real life aspect to it which is kind of fitting for the hard-boiled fiction when you come to think about it so I don't know. yeah oh go I, ahead Rachel I was just gonna say I will say like I found myself personally connecting to this like this little book this little like crime book like I found myself connecting to it way more personally than even some of his bigger works which I mean we can we can talk about maybe a little bit later in some of the other sections but I was really surprised actually the range of stuff he was able to touch on within this this inner this this narrative that seems really simple i think actually has a lot more depth to it yeah i agree and for me thumper mike i think everything you're saying is absolutely true and but thumper yeah for me he represents sort of the awful truth right like the the absolute um context like lacking of any context the blunt truth and and the fact that it begins stalking him is really compelling and it just and i think the reason you guys are bringing up prestige horror a lot is because and you're all touching on this but you know if you look at a at a movie like it follows right like or a movie like the babadook the monsters in those my criticism of those movies honestly is that the, they sometimes feel more like themes than monsters mm-hmm. uh because the the connections are so apparent but that also makes for a richer viewing experience in a lot of ways because you're actually you're you're finding these themes manifested in really unique ways that makes them really compelling and this book does touch on that so those it, i feel like those comparisons are really apt and so thumper for me represents um, like the horror of Jamie's of power, like something that seems like it would be a net good. This idea that you can always get the absolute truth about something. Um, it turns out to be in its own way, kind of a curse too. And that to me was what I really took away from it. And I think, you know, I think the incest, um, you know, uh, drop at the end is not necessarily the most elegant um, no, <laughs> of like <it's> King's <laughs> writing. Yeah. It is really based on the responses in our Discord and also my own personal response. I found it kind of baffling um, in that epilogue. I was like, "What the hell mm-hmm. is this? What just happened?" But you know, the more I think on it, I, I, I see it really as, um, how do I phrase this? It's, it's. It's the it's about the coldness of sort of absolute truth when it's divorced from all context. And sometimes the answers you get only spawn more questions, uh, because when he finds out that his uncle is his dad, that that raises so many different questions and it sends his mind flying down a million different avenues. Was it a consensual encounter between his mother and his uh, uncle or was it? something else because you know the uncle is he had what early onset alzheimer's yeah yeah yeah. and so he's you know not well and he's not able to um you know he he wouldn't be able to tell jamie what really happened even if he wanted to so jamie can only ask the ghost and the thing is he could have asked the ghost more questions but jamie chooses not to he says the reason i didn't ask was simple i didn't want to know and i think it's that thing where he thinks you always want the answers you always want the absolute truth but sometimes when you get those answers it can actually wreck you a little bit there's um Hold on, there's a section I want to read here that I thought was interesting. Um, On page 249, he says, 
I won't live my life with the pending question of whether or not I'm going to lose my mind in middle age. I won't live it with the shadow of that thing hanging over me either. It has drained the color from too many days. The fact that I am a child of incest seems laughably unimportant compared to the black husk of Thumper with the deadlight shining out from the cracks in its skin. And so, and I think that the idea of relating it to the cosmic, right? Like you were mentioning that, like, this the use of the deadlights here has is more than just you know it's more than just that lovecraftian kind of horror it's the idea that if you confront something a, a truth that it can break your brain in the same way that the deadlights do i mean liz what she sees in the mirror um he says i would never want you know i would never want to know what she saw because it clearly destroyed her and broke her brain in the way that you know these cosmic horrors do and i think king is equating that with the idea of like whatever that absolute truth is like the and then and i and i do also like that it's kind of couched within he and his mother's relationship which is to me i've mentioned in my review earlier it's sort of the beating heart of the book it's a totally. really beautifully drawn relationship and i'm sure we'll talk about it more later but i think that you know that sometimes having all the answers is actually enough to drive you crazy. Um, and that's well, sort of as, what he's saying in the end is he's like, I, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop asking for answers. You know? <laughs> so well, it's like, uh, like our boy, Jack Nicholson in the Lakers Jersey. Uh, he might say you can't handle the truth. Oh my God. What a deep think, cut reference. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you, Randall. I also think it'd be one thing if he mentioned this really early on and like, leaned on that the whole time you know but it wasn't necessarily like this graceful thing i almost thought when the uncle said yes like that that's all we were gonna get mm-hmm. and that they were never gonna talk about it maybe it's just i, I just watched this miniseries where that also kind of happens at the very end like you realize but you kind of know the whole time mm-hmm. oh well obviously this is what's going on and not in a bad way like it's it was very good it was very depressing but i felt like that in this like the more they brought up the uncle and the more they brought up Who's his father? I don't know who my father is. I was like, it's probably the uncle. <laughs> so, so when they mentioned it at the end, it wasn't it wasn't too big of a reveal. But I didn't know how much they really needed to go into it. So when he goes into it, I thought, what are we doing? But then you know, it immediately retracts that and is like, actually, I don't know. And blah blah blah. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. But yeah, what did you guys think about the, the whole thing about? You know, all these rumors about children of incest are X, Y, Z. And, you know, here's this this cool character, Jamie, that we're, we've all kind of like liked now at the end of this. And, oh, yeah, and he's, he happens to be a product of incest, but that doesn't define him. Or do you think that that's what he was trying to say with that? Or did you I, pull something else from that? I mean, that's how I think it comes into like the narrative about trauma, you know, because like so much of battling trauma is not letting it, you know, take over your life. Right. You know, it's something that you you have to contend with. It's something that you have to meet face to face. It just kind of what he says about, you know, Thumper in the sense that he's got to contend with him at at some point. And I think that kind of goes into this idea of like, well, okay, great. I I found this out. This isn't going to be me. This isn't my life. This is, you know, I am my own, you know, my own person. And I and I feel like that's a, you know, part and parcel of where that comes from you know, is that he's not going to let this ruin his life. You know, he's not going to let this, you know, this truth absolutely cripple him. But at the same time, it is a lesson to know that like, you know, uh, like the, like our boy, uncle Ben says with great power comes great responsibility. You know, he's going to keep digging. (laughs) You're not going to find, you're not (laughs) going to like what you're going to find. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I took it. You know? Yeah. I just found it. I I guess when I talk about the inelegance, that's kind of where it comes in, which is it almost started Mm -hmm. to feel like, 
um i don't know like a psa almost like yeah um, like it was just that and it's it's not that the sentiment isn't you know good and correct and and all of that but it just kind of started to feel like let's learn about you know children of incest and it comes at the very end of the book and it just felt it felt almost like he was reciting you know text that you would find on a web a website or something Mm -hmm. you know it's just so i struggled with that aspect of it i thought the sentiment was great but i think that's part of why like that's part of why the revelation drops and it feels so awkward right is because it almost feels like he's like like he's trying to cram too much information he's like i just dropped this huge bomb but guess what it's not that bad you know it's not that bad um and i feel like i'm watching i don't know it felt like he was writing to the audience more than he was the actual book and or 100 yeah yeah no i thought the same thing too yeah what else did you think about the ending i just i mean cop outs not the the right word i feel like that's too strong but i got the same impression i was like i feel like he's making excuses for how he Mm -hmm. can get away with this logic like no 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 listen you guys like incest doesn't always mean this like see Mm -hmm. see this it's okay when and because the rest of the book i thought was speaking actually like really beautifully to some bigger picture issues Mm -hmm. i felt like this was really heavy-handed almost yeah like he didn't need to be so explicit in like no this is what it is this is how it works it's like i get i get it give give your readers a little bit more uh trust in what they can interpret from this because if i mean if you were playing it more vague it would actually be more organic you know like i i don't think it's an elegant delivery whatsoever i think a lot of it works mostly in hindsight which is um i guess uh, par for the course considering the entire construct of this book is based on hindsight but um i i think that it it when you look at it in the, in, in the you know because when I first read it it was just so jarring and I think one of the reasons why also is that and this is something I guess I'll just keep you know beating like a dead horse this episode is that I do feel like he was trolling us you know like I do think that there is an aspect of uh, we're gonna hint at this dad this guy has supernatural abilities ooh where have you heard this before uh, in The Shining in Doctor Sleep and you know half a dozen fucking uh, books where I have like you know these type of characters in especially in The Dark Tower like usually when you talk about these type of powers, there are some sort of links, right? And like the fact that there's literally a mention of, it comes from the father, doesn't it? You know, and then like, ooh, who's his father? Like, yeah, it did feel like, like did it feel, yeah, exactly. Like I thought that like, <laughs> there might be some sort of revelation in that respect. So yeah. like when I got to the end, I was actually expecting like, you know, kind of like a, another big revelation in the same way that the, the Chud was. And then instead we sound incest and I was like, I have to text them now. Yeah. No, I'm with you, Mike. I And it's funny, though, because when I was thinking, I was like, oh, we're going to find out about the dad. Yeah. Like that when the first thing that came into my mind was and I think it was just because I had encountered the ritual of Chud stuff and the deadlight stuff. So I was like, OK, this book is part of, you know, this larger Um, it, it, I guess to me when I was reading it, I was like, well, this reemergence of the deadlights can't just exist in this book. So I was like, maybe this is in a way connected to Billy Summers, you know? And so then I was like, maybe his dad is Billy Summers. <laughs> but not <laughs> it once. Was just absurd. So not once though, did you ever think like, this is definitely going to end with incest? No. Yeah. And that's that. And so I just remember, and I like read it to my wife. See, I, that's I, so I was funny. like, I was like, what? See, that's so wild that you thought that, Mac, because yeah. like well, in the Discord and, 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 and everything, everybody's say, like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's because I literally just binge watched that. Um, no spoilers. I'm spoiling it. Yeah, you can't but, spoil. 
Game of Thrones? I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it's a mini series, and I won't say what it is, but it's a mini series where the whole time the main character doesn't know who his father is, and there's a he gets this manuscript that his mother gives him, and all this stuff, whatever. Anyways, he finds out that he's a product of incest at the end, and so that was like a huge theme. But they do they do a very good job of like drawing that out. But you kind of if you're reading and you're looking for it, you kind of start to pick up like, yeah, I think this is what's going on, and this is why he doesn't know. So I I think I just had that in the back of my mind. So when they introduced the uncle character and you knew the mother was you know in a in a female relationship, I just. I kind of started thinking, well, maybe it's the uncle. And I didn't, I didn't, I, you know, I'd forgot it by the time they introduced it, you know, cause, cause for a while it goes away. You know what I mean? It's, 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 you're sort of thick into the crime story at that point. So the, I mean, it was a surprise that he revealed it the way he did with, with the, the ghosts and stuff. But I kind of just, I don't know. I, I didn't, I wasn't thinking it was Johnny Smith the whole time. <laughs> I, I, I think I thought that when they first introduced, like, who's the father? But then as they kept bringing the uncle back in, I was like, okay, what's, what, why are we bringing this uncle? Yeah, the I, it was, there was definitely, so, like, yeah. like, that was clearly being set up. But uh, listeners, we look forward to your guesses as to what miniseries Mac was watching. Um, <laughs> well, Mac, Mac was They're going to spoil it. <laughs> they're going to just mention it, yeah. I think Mac maybe. It's really you, good. You, it's just really depressing. You have a psychological link. Maybe you're uh, Jamie Conklin yourself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to say, too, I think Jeez. like it took me a while sitting with the ending to really, something else bothered me about it. And I think it's the fact that it is the father. Like this whole book, like Lee, develops this really beautiful relationship between like Jamie and his mom and his mm-hmm. mom's such an important presence and there's so much of himself that he gets from her and to find out at the end that like oh it's the dad like maybe he gets this gift from his dad like maybe all this stuff it's it kind of draws the attention away from her in a weird mm-hmm. way and sure. it's it was kind of a little disappointing to be like well why couldn't it somehow i mean i guess it is tied to her it that's, is, that, that's yeah. what's that's <laughs> what's so say, awful yeah. about it but kind like of his same family <laughs> you know i i think it's a yeah. it's looked at as a sort of gift and it i don't know it would have been nice to like throw the mom some uh, some credit for that yeah. rather than taking all the attention away and putting it all on the dad at the end you know, it could have been a lot like the ending of Rookie of the Year, you know, when he like oh, he's like throwing the ball and then like he realized that it was actually his mother that had like the really strong arm at the end. You know, it's like, Mom. We need someone to like keep tabs on all the references Mike makes in any given episode because there it would be such a diverse list. Um, I think, you know, I think a, 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 if we want to pivot slightly, Mike, you mentioned earlier you were quoting Uncle Ben. Yeah. Uh, you said, with great power comes great <laughs> responsibility. I think that, that the idea of the responsibility is something that I also think is, is is interesting and powerful here. And it's something that I feel like he's been exploring a lot in his recent works. I mentioned this when I read a snip, snippet of my um, AV Club review. But it seems like a theme that King is very into these days is this concept of, of someone coming to realize the weight of the power they possess. And and eventually coming to control it. Um, we see this in Gwendy's button box. We see this in Mr. Harrigan's phone from If It Bleeds last year and uh, The Institute as well. And I'm sure many other books. But yeah, it, it's this whole, it, it becomes a lot about how 
when you are blessed with sort of this power, what can it do to you mentally or psychologically? I mean, we see that in Dr. Sleep, too. And I think he's got a much more hopeful outlook than perhaps he used to. If you think back to earlier books, books like Carrie, books like The Dead Zone, these are books where the power that this person had gained more or less resulted in their demise. Um, they, they never quite learned to control it, or they at least, you know, uh, chased it to a place where it resulted in them, you know, as in Johnny Smith, not emerging. And so, uh, but he seems to have a more hopeful kind of, you know, view these days in that a lot, in a lot of these stories, it's about these people who are tempted by the decision to wield this supernatural power for what it can be worth. I mean, I especially think this is so connected to Mr. Harrigan's phone. Um, Mac, um, yeah, Mac, uh, Rachel, have you guys read that? I haven't. No. It's interesting. It's it's the first story and if it bleeds and it's about a, a, a kid who um, basically gets a haunted cell phone from his neighbor who uh, has a mysterious past and basically can 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 connect with this person after they die via the phone. And, you know, and it is and it almost has that monkey's paw kind of idea. It's kind of like you can use this thing that could help you and save you, but it has bad side effects. You know, it, it will also hurt you in other ways. And so. Um, whereas the characters I think used to succumb to those powers, now uh, he's he's writing characters that are a bit savvier, or at least learning the hard way how best to use their powers. So that was something else I thought was interesting, um, especially when you frame it through this concept that he's lived with it his whole life, so he doesn't understand the weight of it. You know, I I, I did think about that a lot, and I tried to like figure out well, what does that say about King politically, you know, and spiritually. You know, if you go back to his older books like Carrie and The Dead Zone, you're right. I mean, all of these are curses, you know, and, and mm. maybe, maybe they're not so much curses, but they, they they end up being cursed arcs for them. You know, Carrie, she uses her powers to take down herself and those that wronged her. Uh, Johnny using his powers to, to inevitably save the future, which, you know, sacrifices himself. And when you look about that sort of inherited power that we see in these later stories, they do come from a more holistic place, you know, well, they, I think, and I wonder what that says about where King's at mentally right now. Is it, what does he, what does it say about the world? Is he just not trying to be punching up to the man or is he just trying to live <laughs> alongside it and fight the long fight? You know, I think it has a lot to do with, I, I kind of liken it to superhero stuff. Like mm-hmm. we, we talked about Marvel before, like, but it's all about having a power and like learning to control it. And that's yeah. so popular these days is like taking something that is that a was either thrust upon you or, you know, magically put upon you or whatever, and then dealing with it and owning it and then using it for good. And I think that you're seeing that a lot more with his stuff in that, in this sense, you know, like even with Jamie, Jamie, Jamie doesn't want to use this power. He doesn't want to use it. Doesn't want to use it, but he realizes that lives are at stake. You know, mm-hmm. decides to use it and he, it kind of becomes like the, like the Johnny Smith, like it, mm-hmm. like like in the sense that like okay, I'm gonna help this guy, but he doesn't die at the end. He doesn't have to sacrifice himself, you know. He's gonna continue on. Like this could be the beginning of more Conklin, you know, quests. <laughs> the Conklin you know? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, exactly. Rachel, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was just gonna say I think it even. I personally always see it speaking more to his issues with addiction, mm-hmm. and how you know, in his past maybe as he was fighting and going through that, maybe his outlook was a little bit darker. Yeah. And he obviously had a lot more to lose when he was navigating that. But now mm-hmm. as some time has passed, 
maybe he's looking at it a little bit differently and seeing that, you know, it's always an issue. It's always there, but there is a potential for navigating it in a safe and, you know, even healthy way and dealing with it, that there is hope. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, just to, like you said, it's always there. I think that's the thing about uh, Thumper too, is the, the, the monster is sort of he could still whistle for it Mm -hmm. like at the end like it still exists for him and he still might have to reckon with this thing again in the future and so i think that is something that he's leaving us with which is that he hasn't fully gained control of his power you know but he has the ability to sort of wield it again if he wants to but it seems kind of inevitable that no matter what he's going to have to confront this thing again and and that's such an adult point of view you know, that, that, and that's what I think makes this such a more impactful coming of age story because King's coming at it from, you know, having lived on this earth for 70 something years. And, you know, to your point, Rachel, I think his his uh, his approach to life and the future is a lot different, f- f- you know, from the per- the point of view of someone that's come out of addiction than those that, th- that they're in the throes of it. You know, as someone who suffered you know from addiction himself, you know, for myriad things. Um you do have that sort of sense of like, oh, well, you know, every new day is is just one more I get as opposed to actually planning long term, you know. And mm-hmm. I think that once you're beyond that, you have that hindsight to know like, yeah, no, I, I did suppress this. I did kill this, you know, but it could come back at any moment. But I know that there's going to be a tomorrow and I know there's going to be next week and I know there's going to be a few months from now. And that's a yeah. lot different. And that's the yeah. the greatest disparity and the greatest distinction between being in it and being outside of it. And I think that a lot of that does come from him, you know, being 70 years older and knowing that, like, look, when you think the world is ending, it, it most likely it's not. You're going to yeah. be well, here for another long time. It's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like train spotting too, you know, it's like when they yeah. tell you you have 30 more years, like what do you, what do you do? You have to yeah. start, you know, it's a different outlook, you know, and you're yeah. like, Oh, I'm, I'm still alive. Like I'm still here. I guess all this stuff, I, you know, like was making out to be so bad and it wasn't necessarily, you know, I mean, in certain ways, I think, I think absolutely he's drawing on that. Yeah. And looking at it from that. So thanks for pointing that out, Rachel. Cause I think that's totally what it is. Yeah. 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 I think that's a good place to pivot over to our next section where we discuss the structure and format. structure and format we discuss a book structure and format uh later is a first person account that is uh told as if it's being recounted by someone uh 30 years on i think jay oh no he's actually in his 20s i was thinking of um joyland where the character is like in his 50s but yeah it's very similar actually to the structure of joyland in terms of it being sort of reflection on youth from an older you know wiser narrator um do you guys like it when king writes in first person compared to uh you know third person i do i, think was, I personally yeah. like it a lot like i like yeah i like joyland i like dolores claiborne a lot mm-hmm. and kind of the way that that allows it allows you to get the, to know the character so intimately because you're seeing the whole thing from their viewpoint and i think yeah i i, I always enjoy those stories mm-hmm. i do too mostly i, I think that <laughs> i think the thing for me though is like as soon as this starts, I kind of am like, oh, well, I guess we know the 
The lead's okay. <laughs> Unless he was a ghost telling the truth the whole time, and that was the big Very reveal well later on. But, like, I I kind of, I don't know. For me, in that sense, it's fine, because I know, obviously, the story better be good. Because if I already know that, that this character's never going to be in peril, even when they're in peril, then something else better be, like, interesting enough to keep me going. And And it was, and I felt like there was enough stuff introduced where it was, like, it didn't matter to me that Jamie was seemingly going to survive all this it was more like what what horror are you talking about what is happening you know what i mean so um for me yeah i i i, I dug it I, I i don't think he needed to do the whole constantly referencing later in the beginning like that yeah that kind of that kind of got old really quick i was like yeah, okay. does, i was like i might the, have noticed that but i don't know the i was little, gonna say does the, the later the multiple later references did that add or subtract for you it did nothing it, yeah <laughs> no, it, it did nothing me. and then what what really bothered me though is that now check it like <laughs> i was like come on what is this a fucking live journal like, like, I, like Nickelodeon. Well, i'll keep yeah. my misery to misery but yeah yeah stuff. yeah I, I think for me this is a perfect format for him because it allows King to do like his greatest flex, which is his foreshadowing. You know, when he's talking in hindsight, King just gets off on it. Like he just loves the <laughs> fact that like, he's like, he could just throw in things like, uh, you know, that's when everything fell apart. You know, I said, this is a horror story, you know, I'm going to go see Burkett and, uh, well, let's just say that's the last meal I ever gave him or something like that. You know, just like things like that. He loves doing that. You know, I do and, love uh, the, those punches. I, I think I wrote some of those in the word processor. <laughs> he loves doing that. He those loves little it. Like, and then I was like, I never talked to him again. <laughs> you know, and you know, he's just like, and you know, when he's writing it, he looks just like, at the, like, the, like Richard Dreyfuss at the end of Stand By Me. He just like stands up and he like stares at his fucking computer and he's yeah. just like, got him. You know, Owen's in the background. Like, come on, let's go good. to the lake. Um, I just, I, yeah, I, I mean, I love it and I, and I get excited too. Um, I think the, the thing that's really awesome about the structure and format in this is that, um, Jamie keeps this, like, he kind of writes this in the same, in the same way that we would recap TV shows, you know, like he doesn't linger too much in each different, in, you know, each episode, he kind of just keeps things going and going. And I don't know if that was King trying to be emblematic of like a teen or, you know, 20 something recounting his teens and stuff, but it yeah, worked. That was, I was going to say something along those lines, which is he mentions in the epilogue that he feels his writing has gotten better throughout um, the writing of the book. And I think that's interesting because I do think it's true as well. I think that the book, it almost reminds me of like, you know, the Harry Potter books, which is that the books got more advanced as the books went along and they kind of grew along with their readers. I mean, obviously, this isn't the same, you know, this is just one book, but I do think in terms of being a coming of age novel, uh, it is sort of a neat trick to, you know, allow the prose to grow along with the character as it goes on. And so that to me was was an interesting sort of flourish that he did here. I, I wouldn't say it was necessarily like, um, you know, it didn't get like. It didn't go from, you know, uh, a YA novel to like Ulysses or something, but it, it did <laughs> it did evolve in a way where I was like, I was like, I do see the growth here and I do see like the language becoming a bit more uh, deep and insightful and things of that nature. So I think, too, though, 
Um, I don't know. Like I was thinking, Mike, about what you were saying, though, is that this does move really quick. But in, in a way, I did sort of miss some of the when King does his third person, the digressions that he can allow yep. himself to make sort of the the moments where he lingers on, you know, a fleeting thought or a, or a um, like a, a bit of scenery or something uh-huh. like that. You know, like, well, yeah, he doesn't really allow him like Jamie's not the kind of writer or person who would probably do that. So yeah, I was going to ask you guys about um, did I mean some of you read Colorado kid and, and Joyland is, is that same his approach to those books are they in this narrative and are they more punchy and don't go into those digressions? Uh, Joyland is very similar in terms of how it's structured and, and things of that nature. Joyland's yeah. first person also. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. yeah I think first it, person, uh, it moves quick. Yeah. And it may, it, to me, it makes sense for these specific hard crime books because that's you know like a detective story or like a film noir story how it's always from like the detective's point of view like it mm-hmm. it fits th- these books i think for what this label is specifically trying to put out so yeah yeah that makes a lot more sense why it was under this label even though it was kind of horror-esque mm-hmm. uh it did it did definitely kind of have that noir feel and right. i think i think also you know like people reading this or kids reading this this these days like i know a lot of people don't like slow burns but i think there's a lot of attention span issues with people lately and i think that it, this probably works in his favor in terms of like new readers coming in mm-hmm. you know because it really just punches to you know if you want to go you know go read it if you really want to <laughs> sit there and really go into the depths of like kids and ponder this and ponder that i think all that's there um well, this but is I think the, this is kind of a good gateway. This book. is for the kids who saw it and then saw the size of the book and said, no, thanks. And yeah. then they grab pick up later. Hey, this new one's short. Um, you know what's going to be wild? I'll take an echo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I love Night Shift. And they're like, you know, echo of it. Yeah. I think in like 25 years from now, we'll just be like hanging out and like somebody will be reading a book. And oh, Stephen King, you're a big fan. You know, um, my first book was later. You know, it's like, wow, you really got into Stephen King through later? That's awesome, you know? But, dude, you know, I see hey, that but, on the you know, Discord. People will history. talk about the books that got them into King, and it'll be really surprising ones sometimes. Like, it'll be, um, oh, God, like Dr. Sleep, or it'll be... Uh, yeah, like, I can see that. Like, I think some I saw somebody say, like, Rose Matter was their first, which my, is so wild to me. Mine yeah. was Talisman, and I feel like that's yeah. so weird. That like, is, I don't that know. is a, yeah. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's... I think that's great, though. I mean, yeah. you know, I think that's why King has lasted so long is because, you know, his stuff just spans so many different genres. I mean, people coming in reading, you know, uh, The Girl Loved Tom Gordon, and then yeah. they really like that. And then like, there's so many they, different exploring ways. Exploring different avenues. Yeah, yeah there's, there's so many, so different, many different, different ways points. into King that yeah. you're, I think it's easy for people to get into. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. 
That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Um, any other thoughts on structure and format before we talk about the characters? Cool. Let's pop over to a section we call Heroes and Villains. I'm going to have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, Master! <laughs> Lots of heroes and villains in this one. Um, many to discuss. I think we've talked a lot about Jamie so far. Uh, we can obviously pepper more in about him, but we haven't talked much about Tia, his mother, who I think is one of the real stars of this book. So w- what do we make of Tia, Mike? Uh, she really, I really uh, connect with her. I, I think that she actually is really this the kind of spiritual main character of the novel. Like when you think about like the conflicts that are going on, they're all really her, you know, like raising a son contending with her own guilt and trauma like you know the tumultuous relationship the liz the financial drought that she has yeah, to bear drought. from the you know from the recession losing the clients you know like the whole agency is on her everything's on her shoulders and we're kind of like seeing this like periphery narrative being told and i'm like worried about her majority of the the book you know and i don't know if that's just because i you know i'm a latchkey kid i come from a divorced family and i i saw a lot of like both parents in this this strife of just knowing that it's all on your shoulders you know and i don't know i was mostly interested in her so like like you were saying before randall like i i actually wish i got more with like jamie and and tia just because i i really love their scenes together like those are the ones that like the check-ins really hit me um Mm -hmm. reading this book so yeah the comfort comforter in chief uh yeah. I like Tia. I think you know she's a Wire fan, so I was connected. We connected <laughs> there. Uh, I know, but I, I I do I do really love that relationship. But I think it, it's also very telling of, I mean, you know, when you when you grow up in that realm and your parent is like that and dealing with all this stuff, you become very much. I I get why Jamie is very much the way he is. You know, I mean, you see that you see him pulling pulling away or not wanting to share this with her anymore. Like he's at one point he stops telling her about the dead people because he doesn't want to burden her with one more thing. Mm-hmm. And, and it, and it kind of, it kind of forces him to grow up really quickly. And I think a lot of people deal with that. You know, a lot of people come from, you know, a lot of hardships and backgrounds and where they feel like they have to grow up quickly. And I don't know. I thought I was really, I connected with Jamie on that level. And in, in doing that, I also like my parents are very much, I remember having to like budget my Christmas lists and stuff and it wasn't anything they did, but I just, I could, I knew just from the situations that, you know, it wasn't, you know, like all fun and games, like they worked their asses off. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was a very realistic mm-hmm. relationship. I thought between the two. Yeah. I would add that, um, that I think with King, there's all, there's such a history in his writing of troubled relationships between mothers and their children. Uh, I feel like so often mothers, are, you know, I don't know, fraught, shrill, angry, judgmental, monstrous. I mean, obviously in his early books, like Carrie and Salem's Lot, but, you know, in a lot of his later books too. And so, I don't know, there was something refreshing about about seeing um, this really positive relationship that, you know, that wasn't perfect, mm-hmm. but the the sort of strife that would arise between them was always just very understandable, normal stuff that was happening within against this backdrop of very, you know, supernatural over the top kinds of things. And their relationship just felt very lived in. And I think what King captured so well was the idea that it really is just them. Like there's no dad in the picture. There's no extended relatives. And Liz, who is Tia's girlfriend is, you know, 
she's not really a family member. Like she's somebody who's around and she's fun, but she's not that she's, you know, they're always fighting and they're drinking and things aren't really uh, like idyllic on that front. So in the end, the only people these two have for each other is themselves. And that's also true because we don't really see Jamie has any friends really. Mm -hmm. Like he's a pretty lonely kid for the most part. And uh, yeah. Isn't it weird though, that like historically King has that relationship with mothers in his books when his father is the one that kind of, you know, jump ship a little bit. And it's just odd. Well, plenty of deadbeat dads in his books too. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. true. That is true. Yeah. I don't know. I I do think that it came from such a, a place of love and like the little things that he, adds on here and the nuances of the relationship and uh, you know i don't have to list them all out but they're just sprinkled all throughout this book really come from like uh not like he's just kind of welding this care these character descriptions but like actually like things that he might have taken from his own upbringing or like you know maybe seen something that he saw tabby with the children you know they all come from like real places you know like they felt very real I was just going to say that maybe, you know, now he has the benefit and experience of watching Tabby with the kids and seeing that totally different aspect of it. And, you know, and his kids, not saying he was kids. absent and Tabby had to deal yeah. with everything, but like, you know, I think uh, in, in to some extent, probably for a little bit. And yeah, that's, it's, it's interesting to see the shift there. Yeah. I do yeah. love how much we get to know her through Jamie's eyes though. I think mm-hmm. that's so interesting, you know, people they uh, always say that you know kids are so honest and brutal and they can really see to the heart of it and I think that seeing her through Jamie's eyes seeing her how she handles difficult situations I mean we've all been there with our parents you know seeing them go through stuff and you can tell that they're trying to hide Mm -hmm. it or not let you in but as a kid you you feel it and I think that that's a really interesting way to get to know her is through Jamie and just seeing that, you know, he, he is her number one at the end of the day, like Liz is her partner or whatever, but you know, she crosses that line and it's done. Like Jamie comes first and seeing that is really touching and just also really heartbreaking. I think reading it as an adult, just like how you would handle that situation and, you know, recalling situations with your own family dynamics and stuff it's it's an interesting way to get to know that character but also really beautiful Mm -hmm. would you say that um you bought her relationship with liz would you say that that was something that felt you know natural or organic or believable to you i think it did um what i like kind of did like about it was it felt i mean it's a it was a relationship that took a a a bad turn you know Mm -hmm. but at the same time they were still dedicated to each other and Jamie was a part of that you know Mm -hmm. she had brought Liz into their house and she doesn't seem like a character who would have done that lightly so if that happened then they had were probably pretty serious at that point so even though it took a weird turn and obviously she was into some bad stuff Sometimes it's not easy to break up with a partner, especially somebody that you have a history with, you know? So I, I do believe oh, yeah. that in that regard. That yeah. it, to your it, point, like to your point about like the point of view, right? You know, like, you know, the same way that Jamie builds up Tia, he's also building up Liz, yeah. you know? And that's already sort of like a fractured relationship in the sense that like, all right, well, there's this other that's coming into the house, you know? And 
it's not a cliche to say that most kids are distrustful of, you know, the, the, you know, the romantic love interests of any of our parents, you know, when they come in, you know, it's like, we, it's like the, the John Connor, like, you're not my dad, Todd, like that type of thing. <laughs> and I know that from firsthand, just from like my mom's boyfriends and, you know, my dad's girlfriend, now my stepmother. Um, yeah. And so, um, I think that comes from, I think that the fact that like we even get any sense of like, uh, that a positive positivity from Liz speaks to the fact that like, you know, she wasn't all that bad because if she was all that bad, then we probably would have just seen her as this like villain from day one. And that's not yeah. really the case. You know, he does well, give her some nuance, you know, I think the great thing about the great thing about it is that right from the get go, Jamie's constantly saying, I loved a lot of things about Liz mm -hmm. and I didn't like, and I disliked it's very gray. And that's how the real world is. Yep. And I like the fact that, Tia and Liz were very different people. I mean, you know, I think they got in a fight about like Obama's citizenry, like, <laughs> or uh, you know, just the fact that she ended up being oh, yeah, like, a dirty tried, cop and like a racist, Liz as, like, like a Republican. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he uses and, that and, to and it, villainize her late, mid, conveniently midway through the book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it, but I did think that I was like, I can see, you know, like sometimes you get like enraptured with someone. And before you know it, you're in a you're in a seemingly serious relationship, and then these things start to come out slowly, and you might fight about them, but it's not enough to necessarily break your relationship, because all the other things are working, and you find it you know opposites attract, and it, I don't know it, it it felt believable to me still, but yeah I um you know I don't know I I guess <laughs> I I I think most people live in the gray area, so I I liked the fact that it wasn't just you cut and dry like she was a bad she was a bad person you know I, yeah i think, I think like I there think were things there you know i agree with everything you guys are saying um i will say though like liz's uh kind of just turned to like coke snorting drug oh, smuggler it. <laughs> uh it was a bit abrupt for me yeah. um i but struggled with a good it a little time bit. period right wasn't wait there? what wasn't there a good time period between or no yeah, but still, yeah, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a, she's, she becomes a caricature. Yeah, yeah. she like, goes. That, it's, uh, she yeah, goes from tweaker. like maybe a dirty, you know, slightly dirty cop to like she has no septum. Like it's yeah. just like, it's like okay. Yeah, she's well, like already. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, you do enough drugs, like. No, I mean, I'm being Sorry. serious. This is like, I probably. I mean, I you probably, know, we're looking at we're looking at the cover here, and Liz is like out of control. Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe I don't buy it as much. You know? I think it's a little uh, tall tale at points. Um, you know, I think it, it, it's it's a uh, King does this with uh, elevation also, you know, because he has a queer couple in, in elevation. And and it a lot of it. I, I think there's enough nuance there to, 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 for, for to buy it. But I, a lot of it does feel very um, like like i don't want i don't think it's fair to say it, but like it does feel like very like see look at this this is you know it's kind of a progressive uh, couple here like it feels <laughs> it feels a little call to action sometimes but like the, the only thing that really drove me nuts about liz is like when she starts talking about mark knopfler to a fucking teenager and, i like, knew we're you to, were gonna bring that up i knew that was just, gonna come up at some it's point. just it's so fucking waiting. lame like it's just like come on like and then the way she talks about the wire it's just like it's like as if like king like was copying and pasting like write-ups from ew from like the aughts <laughs> It's just like who the yeah. fuck talks about Mark Knopfler when they're talking about guitars. I'm sorry, like once especially like a, Mark. Wait, once they brought Mark Knopfler, all I could think of was like at the end <laughs> when they open like the vault and they look at like the photos of like what you know Donnie Biggs did. It's just that lead Dang. up, you know that 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 Dang. drum lead up Dang. all the way in in uh, from money to nothing. <laughs> yeah, from money to nothing, and then all of a sudden it's like. Bah! 
no, but I laughed when I saw that because um, it was a Dire Straits, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, well, these are this is one of those moments where I felt like you're I think you're a little you are behind King. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. If, I don't even know Liz would be into this. But I don't know. I mean, I knew I knew exactly who it was. You know, I listened to that stuff, too. You know, so here and there. Well, but. I would almost say that I feel like my I didn't even realize this woman on the cover, this foxy babe leaning on the car was like supposed to be Liz until King had a chapter where he was like, well, how do I describe Liz? Well, she's pretty foxy, you know, yeah. and he talks about her being super hot. And then I was like, he, oh, so this woman is supposed to be Liz, which I don't know. It's like. It, this is well, framed to me like she's some kind of femme fatale, you know, like kind of character uh, that there's something a little bit more mysterious about her. That's what this cover image sort of uh, perpetuates. Whereas and then she just ended up being a character really not like what I was expecting. Yeah. And, you know, that's not a well, bad thing necessarily. But I just would say that I I struggled a little bit with some of the shifts in her character, though. I at the same time, like I never I was never like, I never didn't buy it. I was always on board with it and on board with sort of that journey. But I feel like, you know, if King maybe had allowed himself to go long, like he usually does, if this was a 500 page book instead of a 250 page one, we probably would have seen more of Liz's journey towards this like dark, uh, you know, ending, which, you know, we probably didn't need, honestly, at least in this story. Yeah. And there is that, that scene in, in the book that like this, where he, comes across her and she's leaning on the car like it's right out of the book yeah, yeah. but but I, I think what i what i liken this to is when he's a kid this is how he sees liz mm-hmm. do you know what i mean so like when he's older i don't think liz was ever this mm. i think that that's just how he perceived it because you know that's how he remembers her the one vision that he remembered seeing her once like yeah. that's stuck with his with his version of her and I mean, I'm I'm acting like there's a lot more time that went by because I can't I can't really recall exactly how much time went by before he saw her again. But yeah, I don't I don't know. I it didn't bug me too much. But I, I hear I hear you. I totally didn't, hear you. Didn't sure. she? I, I know you love this, Randall, because you re, you reference this a bunch. But didn't she kind of <laughs> remind you of like Dokes from Dexter a little bit? <laughs> You're like, oh, Jamie, hey. <laughs> I'm back, you know, and like pops up and it's just like, oh God, this isn't going to be good for anyone. And it, it just felt like, you know, he, you know, he, like, like Dokes has Dexter's card. She had Jamie's card and is just always using it against him. And it just felt so ostentatiously villainy like that in a way. Like it was just uh-huh. convenient. Like, all right, well, we've got the Chud thing situated. What next? Hey, Jamie, and like the yeah. car revs up, comes. you know, oh, plot armor, you know, like it just it felt a little convenient sometimes. And then it didn't help the fact that like, she does feel so cartoonish by the end. I mean, the shit that she's saying, like I was reading it aloud while I was, re- <laughs> while I was reading it just being like, who talks like this? You know, yeah, like, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I think in a future section, yeah. uh, no, but well, similar to what you're saying, Mike, uh, the New York Times review actually discussed how the plot comes together like it's like Lego blocks almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of reminds me of what you're saying, which is that things just feel a bit convenient. And I think that is due to the fact that he was trying to keep this story tighter. I mean, if he was writing it for Hard Case Crime, he was trying to do something that was 250 pages and not 500 pages. And I do think King for King, it's actively hard for him, I think, <laughs> to not go long because yeah. he loves to go long. And so, um, so yeah, I do think when he does squeeze things when he does have a plot that really that is you know multiple intersecting um storylines i think when he doesn't have that space to sort 
sort of pontificate a little bit maybe or or daydream a little bit then yeah it looks like these pieces just sort of click together you know in a very um convenient fashion um other characters what do we think about mr thumper it's pretty Oof. mean. Love him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, just, I think a lot of it is I, because uh, we were doing... Well, I think because we were doing our fucking Saw re- rewatch at the time, <laughs> I just imagined like Tobin Bell uh-huh. wandering, oh, wandering really? around the entire... Yeah, I just I couldn't get him out of my head. It was ridiculous. I, I kept... And I started laughing at moments because we just kept passing on like, you know, in our text threads, we were like posting like photos of like Tobin Bell playing guitar or something like that. So I was just like imagining like to, this this Tobin Bell wandering around, <laughs> sauntering like, yo, Jamie, I'm going to follow you everywhere for the rest of my life. You know, That's it funny. just... I, I couldn't get him I, out of my head. I pictured like David Thewlis. Ooh, I can uh, see that too. That'd I can awesome. see that. Like a younger version. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought the introduction of that character was really interesting. I thought the idea that you were gonna have to talk to this like serial killer now and just the, all that stuff i thought was just really really fun and cool and i was like oh this is king like in his element like this is great and then that was before all the deadlight stuff i was just like before i knew that was what was really going on i just liked the idea that this this guy is so evil or something's off that he he's able to just hang on and linger and be this presence that shouldn't be well having half of his face blown off helps yeah yeah yeah, yeah. uh i just i just like there's some ideas or just some moments but i'll get into the in the cemetery but i don't know i i i dug thumper um i would say that you guys are gonna laugh at this and it's but it's 100 percent true the character who i could not keep imagining thumper as was that old like pedophile on um family guy you remember that who would like talk like in his i just i something in the description made me think of that character and of course i could not shake it the rest of my reading so i was thinking basically of a non-animated version i was gonna say was he animated in your head no but that would be funny though (laughs) is this like tom and jerry (laughs) uh rachel how did you picture uh thumper so I've been watching that confession killer doc on Netflix. So uh-huh. he was very like Henry Lee Lucas to me and just kind of uh-huh. just kind of gross and a little haggard. And but also, yeah, because Henry Lee Lucas also had that smile that was just yeah. like really eerie. And I imagine Thumper definitely had that and just, you know, come here. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. very there creepy. Was de- there's definitely something very I, I think just. That's not character that doesn't have a lot of dimension, but doesn't really need to. You know, this is just a character who is a vessel for evil. And I think King sort of, you know, not really engaging with him when he was actually alive and allowing us to view first view him with the side of his face blown off and sort of these, I don't know, just like the gnarliest descriptions of his appearance, I think was actually really helpful for the character and just sort of being this vessel for evil. Um, Worked really well for me. How did you imagine the final form you know when he comes back in that um, mansion you know well like, it was the it was the family guy old man <laughs> just crisp with, the, and... with with all of the beams of light flying okay out of them. okay yeah all right yeah like, I, a, I, like in the it miniseries when uh they they um knock pennywise's like hole in his head and all the light beams out that's what i was thinking about I, yeah i got i got a lot of real i mean we'll talk about it in the cemetery i guess i'll save it to the cemetery well <laughs> i was just gonna sense. say i i kind of likened it to american warrior for london like every time he saw him yes. he's a little bit more deteriorated a little mm-hmm. more rotted so that by the end he was just like this 
this shell of a thing where light's coming out of it. You know what I mean? Like that's where I kind of tracked him. Yeah, that was such a cool image. Um, Biggie, Biggie Smalls or Donnie Biggs. What is this? Donnie Biggs, Donnie Marsden. (laughs) Donnie Marsden, the man himself. Um, Uh, Yeah, this was a character who was very ostentatious and gross. Um, just uh, wildly large and uh, ball gag in his mouth, very filthy. Uh, I actually, but I, Mac, you brought it up earlier, but I actually quite liked the his his ghost, right? Because yeah. or his dead person, because clearly from what we learn about this character, this drug this drug kingpin, he was like a giant monster, like you know, not unlike Thumper in the in his own ways, and just really evil, really shitty, a killer, a torture of women, all these things. But as a as a dead person, he was like so meek you know and there was something really pathetic about him like i'm there's just so many good scenes or good moments in that final sequence where jamie kind of turns around and then he's just there like he's kind of wandering and following him throughout the house so quietly and that to me was really really eerie just the idea of this very large very meek ghost that was somebody very monstrous in real life and they're so exposed when they're when they're this dead person in a weird way i don't know i really dug that i i love that that sort of background peripheral it's not even horror it's just detail mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like th- those are the type of the stuff that stick with me I, I think like in terms of ghosts like you know you look back at like the haunted mansion the disney and it's like the little things in the background that aren't part of like the actual main track plot that you're supposed yeah. to be seeing and the, the, the thing that's the stuff that stays with me and that's the same way um and i, I with his character it was interesting too because it's like it, it kind of the, the whole book reminds me a lot of uh peter jackson's the frighteners um, mm-hmm. with, the, at least with the relationship with ghosts. And I felt like King is a really good way in this book of just being able to kind of dial up the tones a little bit. Cause like in that, in, in that movie, sometimes the ghost interactions are hilarious and sometimes they're, they're really sad and sometimes they're really scary. And what I liked about this final scene, and it's a chaotic scene in a story that has a lot of story in 250 pages. So there's a lot of stuff going on in that final act, but he does a really good job in like, the delicate dance of tones there you know it's like just think about all the shit that's going on you have this like creature that's been hyped up this entire time coming back on top of that you have like liz's death and you have on uh, on top of that this ghost is just kind of wandering around the revelations that are in his torture chamber (laughs) in the torture chamber i mean there's just a lot going on there and the fact that you could kind of just weld that little thing in there of this like remorseless ghost kind of reminded me of like the way that peter jackson's able to kind of flip the script occasionally in that movie i don't know yeah but yeah any other thoughts on biggie smalls I did think it was interesting that you've got this guy, right? This guy, this larger than life character who Mm. in the physical world had this sort of facade of power. You know, he was this king, this drug kingpin. He was at, you know, a higher level as Liz was explaining. There's always somebody above him, but he was a pretty high up in the, in the game. But once he crossed over, number one, he's, well, number one, he's dead. Number two, he's in his boxers. He's literally stripped of, (laughs) any sort of costume any sort of like anything and then he's also in a new unfamiliar territory like you take away all of his powers in the physical mortal realm and you that's all been taken away so you really see how like weak and unsure of himself he is because it's unfamiliar and i think that that plays a lot into him just wanting to like leave and he's embarrassed about yeah you know the, the pictures because mm-hmm. you don't know what all this is going to mean in this new place in this new space he's he, there's right. no power there right i, I dug that a lot what were you gonna one, say mac well one one thing i didn't like 
and I think it was a big misstep almost. Um, and I was going to save it for misery, but I don't know if I wrote it there. I'm going to forget it. But if ghosts are wearing the things that they had on when they died, why didn't he have the the ball gag on permanently? Because <laughs> that's how he died. He had it and he was wearing it. Like, I, I thought that was weird. It was only, like, clothing. Touché. And I, thought, I was like, uh, This is kind of like that uh, yeah, Simpsons episode where the uh, comic book guy asked the itchy and scratchy creators about the missing xylophone note or whatever. Um, I, I, I hope I someone that, got fired for that. I think that's that. valid. I think it's a valid point. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, probably one other character we should discuss is the professor, uh, mm-hmm. the one who sort of introduces the idea of the ritual of Chud to Jamie. This is kind of a kindly old man who lives, who used to live next door before they moved. And uh, the book opens with his wife dying. And I think he's, um, uh, I don't know, I found this character, I usually don't like these sort of mentor, mentor old characters in King usually. I was going to say, uh, he's an archetype for sure. He's an archetype for sure, but I don't know. The, the, I He's bought the bond. Enough, I bought yeah. the kids. I bought the kid ad- admiration of him. Um, the and, and the idea, I think it helped by the idea that it didn't seem like Tia and Jamie let a lot of people into their their orb, you know? And so I think by Professor Burkett, like being this character who was close with both of them uh, and sort of serving this sort of grandfatherly role, I think, for, you know, a fatherly role for her and a grandfatherly role for him. I don't know. I, I bought it. It felt like a very tender relationship in a book that has, you know, is kind of built upon this one tender relationship. So, you know, I think it speaks to the idea that, um, I don't know, King still got it when it comes to character because mm-hmm. he can take these archetypal uh, relationships and these archetypal characters. And in this instance, he, you know, really was able, I think, to elevate them to uh, compelling people who have complicated inner lives. So. Yeah. I, he, you know, he's, he, he's an older Jewish guy, right? You know, I, I think he's an older, older Jew. Um, mm-hmm. I, think I think you're projecting, but eh, it might be. <laughs> um, but I feel like he like got the mannerisms down. It, like it reminded me so much yeah, of like yeah. my grandparents and stuff growing up. But um, I, I love these type of characters in King's books. Like I, I always, they're like very, I can't even think of one example of like a pairing where it doesn't work. But I just like think of like, you know, like Matt and Callahan and, and Salem's Lot, like yeah. Alloran and in The Shining. Um, even like someone like Glenn Bateman, you know, my MVP of the stand, like they're, they're, they are these <laughs> characters that should this person, yeah. right? Like they're, they have that, that sort of like, it's someone that King, I feel has become in his older age, which is why I think he could still write these characters is because I think he actually has more in common with these characters at this point now. Like if he went back to his, his books, I almost wonder like how he could write like a character like Matt or a character like Callahan in the shine in this in Salem's lot now. Um, with all the the hindsight of being a seventy something year old, because the, like the way that he writes um, uh, Martin in this, there's a sort of um, exhaustion that a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of these type of characters don't have, you know, in his seventies and eighties books. And I think a lot of that is something that he's drilling in there. Um, this is psychoanalysis uh, with Mike Rothman uh, trying to talk <laughs> about Stephen King at any moment I can. But I, I do. I did catch that this time. It felt like yeah. and you kind of saw a lot of that in um, you mentioned Mr. Harrigan's phone. Like I got a lot of that last year with If It Bleeds. Yeah. You know, these 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 characters that aren't as sprightly anymore, you know, but they're the same type of characters as Matt and, and Callahan. And those are characters that fought. They were on the front lands in those books. And I, I Do you think just... that King has, uh, you know, teen boys in the neighborhood that he mentors and helps them 
discover themselves you know yeah no, that nice. sounds naughty but it doesn't i just mean <laughs> yeah. like helping them like solve crimes or whatever yeah. he probably like has him walk molly helping just, like, them you solve know. crimes yeah. <laughs> they're all yep. boy detectives i believe it uh, yeah it uh, turns into ghost world um and- <laughs> hey i had a question about marty burkett they mention his daughter is in a mental institution because she tried to kill herself and her baby i thought that was referencing something else mm-hmm. and maybe i'm totally wrong maybe that's not true but i did any of you pick up on that were you thinking oh this is such and such from some other story well it seemed like such an like i don't know an aggressive thing to introduce uh yeah. that i thought maybe it was a reference but i i didn't think too hard about it but it did feel kind of like oh wow <laughs> like that's yes. a- yeah it was just so <laughs> specific i thought uh so i was really trying to think i was like uh, someone from like Tommy knockers. I don't know. I kind of trying to think about <laughs> that. Tommy knockers. Well, you know, there's that one lady. They, they go crazy and tries to kill her husband and all that stuff. You know, and she's in yeah, you know, my, she's in a mental institution because she tried to kill herself and her kid and flew up in a spaceship. You know, so maybe maybe it's like a link to the institute. He's trying to build that out. <laughs> the, the, the 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 killer is a interstellar being in this book. Okay, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. <laughs> like, you just I really do. want this book to intersect with Tommy knockers. I I do think that <laughs> every, maybe. Every Maybe it's just more general than that. This whole book, there's all these people, right? There's all these secrets that all these mm-hmm. people are carrying. You know, it's right there on the cover. Only the dead have no secrets, right? So, True. you know, the mom's got her secrets and Jamie has his secrets. And I think this was just Mr. Burkett's secret that he's yeah. been living with. And even though you might know these people and or you think that you know these people, they didn't know this giant massive secret until he had passed yeah so maybe yeah, it wasn't true. something specific but just speaking more to the the things that people carry around with them all the time thank you for the rational no, analysis I, as we I, I do say, stupid no, tommy thank bits. you thank you because well no i'm just saying thank you for that though because honestly you read enough of these and you do these <laughs> these breakdowns you're always looking for stuff oh, yeah. like that and i can't yeah. just look at it for what it is, which is what you said, which is totally makes sense. And yes, that's a much more enjoyable way of reading into that. You never know. You never know. This yeah, could yeah, be the could, beginning could of, be a, you know, off. again, this this could be a Conklin Quest series Conklin Quest. where oh my God. he, you know, gets abducted next book. What if every book Stephen King writes from now on is Conklin Quest volume two, you know, and it's Well, just... you know, the, I read the beginning of the next book. Where they bring Conklin to this facility. He doesn't know where he is. And he finds out he's in New Mexico. Roswell. Oh, Lord. And, they, and they, they're like, this They're like this alien's finally dead. Talk to him. He's dead. He has to tell you the truth now. And dead I'd Mantel. read that book. Oh, you know, I did like the Dead Men Tell No Tales thing that they mentioned. Because mm-hmm. um, I like the, like the idea that, well, Dead Men don't tell tales because they have to tell the truth. And I just yeah. kind of thought that was oh, fun yeah. that he threw that in I like there. that. Did you uh, did you think at the end like uh, Jamie was going to take over the agency and then like they're going to be like you know we got we've been doing pretty good you know we we've moved back on to you know um uh, where was this the street that he was on the uh, the main avenue or whatever Park Avenue we got our Park Avenue offices back and we got a few new clients and one of them's coming up today and then it, like you know he looks up and it's just like um uh, Bill for four o'clock and he like looks <laughs> up and it's fucking Bill Dembro or something like that. <laughs> Or I thought he was going to be like, or Billy Summers. I'm, I'm now, now, he's like, now I'm part of an agency that, 
that helps people with things like I have. It's called The Shop. Yeah. And uh, we have an interview with a man named Rainbird. Rainbird. Oh, my God. He's it's back. suddenly Firestarter <laughs> origin story. Jesus Christ. I, I, so I have one more like character. That's that the I, connection everybody was like waiting for. <laughs> What's the other character you wanted to discuss? So I wanted like? to mention Regis Thomas because yeah, I, like King, I feel, has a lot of fun with this character. You yeah. know, it's one of the first interactions that we get that's like a long, long form with the ghosts. You know, like obviously we had, um, you know, the wife in the beginning. But with this was like one where you actually have like a, an interaction. And this is like the more jovial side of things. This is like when it's still kind of punchy and fun and balmy. And I thought it was interesting that he, the King is so obsessed with this guy's falling pants. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, I wonder if it's something that, that the pound happened cake. to him. Yeah, what is with that though? I don't get it. Like, was it like maybe was it? Do you think it's like an inside joke with another author that he knows that he like painted him as? Or maybe he just wears pants like that when he writes, and Tavi's like, "Steve, your dick's showing." <laughs> you know, it's not that time of the day. Um, I just thought Wait it was very odd. Cake. I don't know, I, but I also thought that like the way that they talk about Regis's relationship with uh, the Roanoke series and how he's trying to rush him out at the end kind of felt like King bringing some of that inside baseball from the Dark Tower. You yeah, know, like how he, he had to kind of wrap it up. Writers. He does. Yeah, he, he does. What were you going to say, Rachel? Book. Oh, I well, I can, I can. I'm bringing my own dad into this. My dad is a kind <laughs> of dad that like. He'll lose some weight, but he refuses to buy new pants. Yeah. So for some reason, <laughs> I just had the image like, you know, Regis like got healthy, but just can't buy new pants and just refuses. <laughs> so they just keep like falling off him. You know, he's got on this new diet for his new book tour. And then just like, they just, but he's going to stick with the same old baggy pants. Like it is that. a quirky little character, though, because he wears like this that, little yeah. spelling bee like mm-hmm. sash as he writes to, which is just so strange. And and uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I love that whole sequence. I thought it was really charming. And man, King loves Roanoke. Like, I feel like he's referenced it in multiple I know. Uh, books. And he also I and we're going to cover Storm of the Century later this year. Yeah. And uh, that Roanoke kind of plays a role in that as well. No spoilers, but it's it's interesting. But he loves mm-hmm. the whole Croatan or Croatoan uh, carving in the tree, which loves, I, I've always heard a is mystery. Well, I heard that it's not really a mystery at all. Like Croatoan was like the name of a nearby yeah, island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But have some have some fun. Have <laughs> I some know, fun, right? right? Yeah. I'm always like, I'm always like, don't ruin the the mystery for well, me. Well, it is still yeah. kind of weird that the entire you know, uh, asa- you know, the whole town vanished and all. But um, you know, we don't have to go into Roanoke. <laughs> what if we just? What if we? Well, you know, let's we're going to go Roanoke into as plenty a uh, in the future for sure. Is, is Roanoke <laughs> a hero or a villain? I mean, it did take out most of its townspeople. Um, you know, anyway. well, those books sounded. Uh, mighty, mighty naughty. Lots yeah. of threesomes. In a little books. self-aware pound cake in there, I'd say. I was gonna say yeah. I wrote that down. I I put is King being uh is he being self-aware regarding the way he writes sex scenes because yeah. there's a lot of making fun of how corny this guy's sex scenes are. I was gonna uh, say I saw someone post something and it was like an, I might have been on our Discord, but it was like uh, a comparison of uh you know like a Misery's Child book and like the cover of uh a. Uh, uh, like a special edition of later, which is a cover of a fake cover of the Roanoke and it might've been fake, but it was like, it was a, it was like an edition of later, but the cover was like a, a bodice ripper, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it, and the title was the Roanoke story or whatever the Roanoke story is in the book. And I thought, Oh, that's fun. But then they yeah. put it next to this misery child's thing. And I was like, Oh, maybe they're just like, maybe that's just 
fun they're having. I think but Regis I was inspired by it, Paul it Sheldon. Like, it was like uh, Sheldon yeah. in this universe. Well, how how would you how how tempted do you think he was to like put Paul Sheldon in there <laughs> for her to be like you know I can't oh, get A list clients like Paul Sheldon or something like that. He's like say well we could do that but. I really want to say they watched Shawshank. <laughs> like, totally different. <laughs> Can't universe. put too many references in. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Well, I think that covers it for characters. So why don't we pop over to our next category, which we call misery? She she died. She just slipped away. Slipped away. Slipped away. She didn't just slip away. You did it. You did it. Here in Misery, we talk about the stuff that made us miserable. Um, we've already touched on a few things. I think we're all probably going to, you know, talk it to some degree about the pop culture references, which just, which just feel a little bit uh, goofy. Oh, um, but did you guys have any other miseries that were, that were oh, yeah. uh, up there for you? Mac? Um this is just the whole thing about like kids like people don't talk like this uh, my name is jamie Lee conklin and once upon a time i drew a thanksgiving turkey that was the absolute cat's ass yeah. <laughs> he says that several times and it bothered what? me every time like as black <laughs> as a cat's asshole i was like, what like are you never talking about? i don't think i've ever heard anyone say that like <laughs> it's like the happy crappy shit that he puts in this in the stand it's like these little sayings that he puts his characters on and you're like i've never heard of anyone say these sayings uh, i know i was laughing at some of the stuff that jamie says like he at one point he has a. He says like, "Oh, and he didn't say boo about it." Yeah. <laughs> and then he, as he describes something else as Maximo, um, it's just yeah. stuff that I it, I found kind of funny. I I agree. I think it, some of it's like, okay, maybe that's something he picked up from his mom. But the, I was like, I don't even know what Tia would say that. Uh, I think like the the and if that's too much information, deal with it. He <laughs> 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 says that all the time. It's just like, oh come on, like. He's, got a, he's right. a sassy kid. I, I don't know if I'd, I'd want to hang out with this guy. Um, speaking of pop culture references, this was the worst one for me. So it's the <laughs> only one I'll read. But page 195, we were a little over an hour away from our final destination. And just thinking that gave me the creeps. Final destination being a particularly gory horror movie oh, me I and know. my friends had watched. Oh. Not up there with the Saw flicks, but still fucking grim. Uh, and we were watching the Saw movies at the time we were yeah, reading. Wrote it, so very exciting. I he, I I tried to jot down all of them. I mean, he, I don't like the fact that he calls to action the sixth sense. I just think it's too cheeky. Um, he well, it doesn't. Yeah, go ahead. It I, just feels like I get it. Like you know, yeah, you're talking to dead people. You said that you saw dead people. The first thing we're gonna think of is the sixth sense. I guess he's trying to like beat us to the punch or something. Like that. It just felt too lame to me. I don't know. That was my main problem with the book. Was that he 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 not only calls that out. Yeah. But if you look at it, Jamie's first experience is like beat for beat the same scene from the trailer of Sixth Sense when yep. he sees the jogger dead yep. as he sees the person dead on the street and he has the same exchange with the mother as he does in the trailer for that movie. Where he's like, oh, I see, oh, well, I see him. He's right there. It's like, how can you see him? He's in the, He's got a blanket mm-hmm. over him. Oh, he's standing right here. Or whatever, he's standing over. I mean, it was like it was like beat for beat. I was like, wait, wait, you just talked about Sixth Sense, so you're really gonna do this now? It's gonna yeah. be beat for beat the same thing. Oh, I know. Pretty much. I was like half expecting. I thought that was him. really strange, but that was really my only. That's the only time where I was like, what? <laughs> what if he had like befriend? What if like the 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 professor uh, wound up being like you know like you know he's kind of a young, handsome looking man. He's just like, kid, I can't help you. 
I got my own demons, you know. Is, oh, like, it's Bruce Willis? It's Bruce Willis. It's <laughs> <laughs> just helping him see God. these ghosts at the time. It's just like him remaking the fucking Sixth Sense the entire movie. Anyway, I, he mentions Torchwood, Fringe, which was such a King like reference because he was all obsessed with Fringe when it was out. The person of interest one was the funniest. It's like they watched. Oh, I wrote that down too, just, yeah. <laughs> And and then also obviously like all of Liz's talk about like not only Knopfler but like when she's like, you know, you know that wire that captures the drug scene a lot. Like, it's just like what? Like, just talk about the drug scene. You're a fucking cop. Like, you, you, what cop is going to reference a TV show about their own work? Like, it's just I don't know. It's, that would be like an undercover cop in the '80s being like, oh hey kid, yeah, you you like Miami Vice? Uh, Miami Vice is all big, you know. When Tubbs is uh, talking about, it's just like no, you talk about your own fucking personal experiences. <laughs> you're a cop. I just, I don't know. That just took hey, me out of it. I don't know. For, for people like us who constantly, constantly <laughs> yeah. reference things, I, I don't know. I kind of gave it a bit of a pass. Yeah, I just imagine but, Liz, but I, you know, just defending, you know, The Wire at the the station. Oh, you didn't watch The Wire? It's a great show. You know, it was underrated. You know, everyone was talking about The Sopranos, but, you know. But I did want to, I did want to talk. You mentioned Torchwood, yeah. which is a spinoff of Doctor Who. Oh. And he, the reference is that Jamie doesn't like it. And I did the research. And this would have been season one or two, which um, let's give or take for me. So, I mean, James James Marsters is in the second season. So oh. if it's the second season, Jamie, uh, sorry, but I disagree. <laughs> the third season's great. The children, the children mm. one. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. What was I going to say? Uh, I don't remember. Rachel, what was your misery? Pretty slight. Um, but there's a point where he says like, well, my friends, you know, I've seen my friends smoke the herb. And I was like, what? Narc, you, narc. Who, well, what a like, loser. Who says Get this kid that? out of here? Yeah. And then he also met, mentions really quickly uh, Liz's partner, Jesus, as being like, you know, 6'4 or something. And then he also just throws in the fact that he had dreads and how he thought that was really cool. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Page sixty-nine. It's like your grandma or your grandpa just being like, "I saw this guy today. He had dreads. You ever see that before?" And a cop, a cop with dreads. (laughs) I don't. You wouldn't have seen that in my day. I'll tell you. (laughs) I I couldn't stand when like, and maybe it's just part of King's DNA now. And look, I love this guy. I mean, I dedicate my entire life to him. But like, I can't fucking my life for you. My life for you, King. But I just, I just fucking hate it when he talks politics. Like, I, I and it's, it, it's, and it's not only just because like, I agree with all his politics. It's just the way he comes off. It just comes off as so like, in the book, virtue signaling. Like the way they talk about like they wield politics with just Liz's character, and then later on when he's just like, you know, I would be old enough when the elections came around in November or whatever. It's just like I will vote. When, yeah, I will, vote. I will be it's able like, to. Yeah, it's like it's so Aaron Sorkin. Thumper like, probably didn't vote. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It just for me, it just comes off as just like so very like um, you know. I'm I'm still with it politically. I know. It's yeah. Like, you know, like yeah. or like um, let me let me talk about the political issues 10, 20 years ago when I was probably. What do you read about. the Institute, man? Oh, I, yeah. Um, no. Oh. What do you got back? Yeah, I've got I've got a few more. Uh, the um, page sixty nine, the realization that oh. he's like, the Tia is starting to look old. <laughs> I was just like, what are we doing here? Um, or, or, or a favorite of yours, Randall. I'm surprised you didn't mention it. Uh, page 155. 
my nails were biting into my palms. <laughs> I have that in King's Dominion, duh, because oh. it's in so many King books now that no. it is inevitably that's, that's King's a, that's Dominion. That's more of a Room 237 connection. <laughs> well, yeah, I do my Room 237s yeah. too. Oh, oh, I got one more, and that this track kind of drove me nuts because it's like you when you build up a villain, don't don't resort to Looney Tunes antics. Like when you see like Thumper on the baseball diamond what are you doing? Like, this is supposed to be like a menacing villain. And you're like, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, look, uh, you know, he, he stuck his you know finger up. It's like, what is this? A fucking Adam Sandler villain now? Like, I mean, it just seems so tonally off in that sequence. There's like, you know, this was kind of funny, you know, when he was wandering around the baseball stadium and you know, somebody went through him and it, it just felt too cartoonish for me. Like, It'd be funny if the, if Thumper was wearing a baseball cap for the team. I imagine him wearing <laughs> turns baseball around. gear. You know, hey. like you know, like when well, Bugs hey. Bunny shows up in different sports gear and stuff. Well, if know. we want to talk about echoes of it, one of its worst scenes takes place on a baseball field. So, oh, in yeah. the second half of it. Um, so there you go, echoes of it. Uh, Rachel, do you have anything else? Well, I hated personally the fact that uncle harry drops this bomb right before chapter 69 but that was just <laughs> nice. me was oh just i didn't like, notice that oh yeah. wow i was just like oh nice okay cool and then like, oh, okay <laughs> guess it was consensual yeah i guess and then when he's like going through what could have potentially happened at the very end he totally pulls a a Seinfeld thing and he he yada yadas mm-hmm. over like what could have happened yeah. he yada yada yeah. sex he's like mm-hmm. so yeah 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 and right 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 it could all be just the way I told it I was like oh okay that's <laughs> you yada yada it <laughs> yeah that felt like King yada yada to the ending also he's just like yeah. those things do I gotta <laughs> yeah. finish this <laughs> the phone's ringing off the hook <laughs> yeah uh Tabby's like, Steve, you gotta, you need it in five minutes. Uh, I can't give it, can I give it to you later? Pun intended. (laughs) We still gotta print it, put a rubber band around Uh, it. (laughs) Yeah, no. Um, All right. Uh, I think that's it for Misery. Let's talk about the lighter side of later with a little section we call Word Processor of the Gods. And we're gonna make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here, you hear me typing. Whether you don't hear me typing, what the fuck you hear me doing in here when I'm in here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. Now, do you think you can handle that? Yeah. Fine. Why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here? Here in the word processor, we highlight the writing we really enjoyed in this book. The stuff that made us smile, that made made our hearts soar into the sky. Who has one that they want to share? I nothing have, I, no oh, I, go I, ahead, I've got some um good, good, good. I think a majority of the stuff for me was just like little one lines mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think just the way it was written yeah. and just the the nature of how the story was told there wasn't like these really eloquent passages to me personally but there were a lot of just one-liners that really stuck out to me like when he's talking about how Mrs. Burkett had the stroke and he's saying, you know, thoughts drowning in blood. I never I forgot that. that. And I was so just funny. like, oh, oh wow. Yeah. Like that is, that's pretty intense <laughs> thinking about it that way. And so that one just really stuck with me. So that's one. And then. Wow, that's wild. That's <laughs> down It works. That's, and, yeah. and then you also mentioned the one where um, they're talking about the ghosts and why they linger and just saying, I don't like to tell you this, but hate stays stronger and lasts longer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll find some more, but if somebody else wants to go. 
Yeah, I've got a section on page 92 that I just thought was kind of lovely. Um, <sighs> I, oh, I think I do too. Go ahead. The no, same I one. What you said. Yeah. Uh, it's just one of his short little chapters. It's chapter 18. Um, yeah. Yep. <laughs> while we were eating our ice cream at Lickety Split, Liz phoned my mother to tell her where we were and what we were up to. Liz said, it must be so strange what you can do. So weird. Doesn't it freak you out? I thought of asking her if it freaked her out to look up at night and see the stars and know they go on forever and ever, but didn't bother. I just said no. You get used to marvelous things. You take them for granted. You can try not to, but you do. There's too much wonder, that's all. It's everywhere. And I love that because it sounds like something profound somebody young would say. Like, that's when you're that age and you kind of have... Like, you're first starting to really understand the breadth of the world and and the idea of what is perm or like, you know, the idea of impermanence and things of that nature. You start like, I feel like that is something that you would kind of say to yourself when you're young. It's like one of those first profound thoughts that you really have, you know, so I had the same same exact thing, Randall, the whole the whole little chapter. Yeah, it was just a lovely little section. Mike, um, how about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, same thing with, you, you know, you're all saying like it, it is like the little things that you know, gather you up. I love in page 134 when he says, you know, tell you what the worst part of growing up is how it shuts you up. You know, like little things mm-hmm. like that, that you'd probably put in your aim profile or something like that. Um, and then on, <laughs> uh, I also like on page 239 when he's, I think it's just, I can't remember where it is in, in the book, but it's just like, I didn't sleep in the connecting room. I slept on the couch and mom's, I dreamed that I was walking on a lonely country road under a sickle moon. Don't whistle. Don't whistle. I told myself, but I did. I couldn't help myself. I was whistling, let it be. I remember that very clearly. I hadn't gotten through more than the first six or eight notes when I heard footsteps behind me. Like, oof, it's just, love that stuff. But yeah. Some really good writing there, but. Rachel, two, how about you? Two more. Yeah. So there's one on page 189, and it's really simple. He's talking to Liz, but he just said, it didn't break my heart, but it squeezed it a little. Mm, and it's just yeah, like, oh, that's a good line. That's such like a perfect way to put that you know mm-hmm. and then on 229 um when he's encountering this this entity he said you may beat the devil once through providence bravery dumbass luck or a combination of all but not twice i don't think anyone but saints beat the devil twice and maybe not even then yeah which i think I, like what uh... we we're talking about you know his issues with addiction i think that that really speaks to that like yeah you can beat it but have you you know so mm-hmm. it's, it's it's still a threat you know i right. had that that same exact line in uh king's dominion mm-hmm. because in it yep. bill talks about beating the devil on silver and echoes of it like i beat the devil once Echo, can, I, can i beat it again with audrey and i so i was like oh that's that's interesting that he's using that again here um, yeah i have one other one that just kind of made me laugh and i identified with it a little bit um, it's on page 164 and Jamie's talking about the girl, you know, that he has a crush on at school. Um, he says, I got back home around quarter past two, a little late, but not where have you been? I was so worried late. I had a long scrape on one arm and the knee of my pants got torn when, when one of the high school boys bumped me and I went down hard, but I felt pretty damn fine. Just the same. Valeria wasn't there, but two of her girlfriends were. One of them said Valeria liked me and the other one said I should talk to her, maybe sit with her at lunch. God, the possibilities. <laughs> I just think it captures sort of that, you know, 12, 13 year old kind of crush that you get and the how exciting it is. if You know, one of the friends says, oh, she likes you. You know, it just it felt to me like a really small encapsulation of what it is to have a crush when you're that age. Totally. Um, so very sweet. 
I loved it. Um, um, any other I, word processes? Yeah, I had one more. It was something we spoke about earlier. Uh, the little punches that King likes to do when he's in this narrative. Uh-huh. When he, in page 172, he wrote, um, I did speak with Professor Burkett again, yeah. but there were no drinks or snacks. He no longer used those things because he was dead. Yeah. <laughs> love that. I love those punches though, because it's it's it's. I always expect it from King, but I, I it's such a thing that he does that I, I just love when he does it. Yeah, and I have to imagine that's like when he's done for the day. You know, like he's finished his writing. <laughs> he's like, well, like, like maybe like like like. Yes. Oh, I forgot. I left that in. Yeah. Like that's how he ends yeah. every day. Yeah, it's always like the next like the foreshadowing of the thing. Uh. I like that. Well, I'll tell you guys, I feel a chill running up my spine, which can only mean that we are stumbling upon the cemetery. <gasps> What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, <laughs> but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery human at all here in the cemetery we talk about the scariest passages the stuff that will keep us up at night screaming and screaming and screaming do you guys get up at night screaming all the time all the like time like me night, night terrors night, night terrors all the time all the time um i'll kick things off on page 110 i just love the the first description of uh, thumper and how disgusting he looks which which king has a lot of fun with throughout the book um but the first description i really like the real damage was on the left where the bullet exited the hole on that side was almost as big as a dessert plate and surrounded by irregular fangs of bone the flesh on his head was swelled like from a gigantic infection his left eye had been yanked sideways and bulged from its socket worst of all gray stuff had dripped down his cheek that was his brain um I love that. Even yeah, though that was yeah. his brain was kind of unnecessary. Uh, <laughs> like, we get it. We yeah. know what the gray well, stuff is. Well, if it was gray stuff, it could have been the gray matter. We, uh, we don't know. Could uh, be gray matter beer. King's Dominion. Um, any other yeah, gray matter cemeteries? Beer. What do you guys got, Mike? I got one from Thumper. Uh, it's a uh, you know, surprise. Wow. what a, the, the demon in the book seems to be scary. <laughs> um, mine's on page 135. Uh, I'll get used to him, I thought. I got used to the hole in his head, and I'll get used to him. It's not like he can hurt me. But in some ways, he'd hurt me already. The D- minus on my math test and screwing the pooch at the swim meet were just two examples. I was sleeping badly. Mom had already commented on the pouches under my eyes and little noises. Even a dropped book in study hall made me jump. I kept thinking I'd open my closet to get his shirt, and he'd be in there, my own personal boogeyman, or under the bed. And what if he grabbed my wrist or my dangling foot while I was sleeping? I didn't think he could grab, but... I wasn't sure of that either, especially if he was getting stronger. What if I woke up and he was lying in bed with me, maybe even grabbing my junk? That was an idea that once thought couldn't be unthought. And something else, something even worse. What if he was still haunting me because that's what this was all right when I was 20 or 40? What if he was there when I died at 89, waiting to welcome me into the afterlife where he could go on haunting me even after I was dead? If this was what a good deed gets you, I thought one night, looking out my window and watching Thumper across the street under his streetlight, I never want to do another one. Like that last line with the, the streetlight, oh, yeah, God. That same. is scary stories. Yeah, the street stuff. lamp thing is creepy as hell. Yeah, love that. Um, yeah, I had the drowning in blood thing in, in Cemetery. I thought that was so such a good description. Um, I had 
the idea and page 60 spotted the old woman in the pink bathrobe. Maybe she was dead or maybe she was just wandering the city. I like the idea that sometimes he doesn't even mm. know yeah. if he's seen yeah. a dead person because you just, you do see people like that all the time. And it's just like, does everybody see that person? I, I like that idea that um, that's out there. Uh, yeah, that was really effective. I, I didn't write that down, but there's a couple different sections where like, I think when he's in the graveyard and he sees like somebody sitting on a tombstone like yeah. nearby and he's yeah. like, is that the dead person? Uh, that to me is like not the fact that you don't know sometimes is very, very eerie to me. Reminds me of It Follows, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Yeah, totally. I, it's um, weird that you mentioned the, that you don't know. Like there was a few months ago and I usually walk the dogs in the morning because uh, Sammy's sleeping. So she'll do the night walks and there was like one morning like early on like six in the morning and i live over on a pretty main drag like addison and i remember like looking across the street and there's this woman that was coming down the street and it was almost it was very lynching actually like she she looked disheveled she looked as if like she was in another world like she had one shoe on and like looked like she was going to attack someone and I was like walking across, it was like really late. It was still early in the morning. And there was a part of me that like did actually wonder, like, is that person actually there? Like it, it, it was so surreal and so bizarre. And this person that that was across the street walked right by her. And like, I, I didn't get an answer. Like I didn't, I still don't know. I, I don't know if that person was actually, I mean, she probably was there, but how does a person that walks right by her, like didn't even, didn't even like, flinch do anything at all it was so have you creepy. lived in the city mike we always walk by scary people i know <laughs> we're used yeah, to I was it gonna say now. i was like if it was a particularly scary person they probably were just like if i if i even flinch they're gonna know they're gonna focus on me you know kind of thing it was bizarre um, i've seen it, that before but that is that is creepy that's yeah. that idea i think is is scary and uh yeah um yeah i had another... rachel what's oh what do you got yeah mike? oh no rachel go well i have i have a few but rachel go for it um, so definitely everything you guys have talked about. I think there was another lady in the laundromat that he didn't know was dead, and but then she was folding clothes, so he figured that she wasn't dead. Yeah, <laughs> which I thought was yeah. interesting because why would you do that if you're dead? Um, right, so for right. me, a lot of the conversations that he was having with himself about his mom really resonated to me, and kind of a, I don't know if scared's the right word, but it really brought up a lot of feelings in myself. Um, so there was a passage here on page one thirty three. Um, so he says, telling somebody might help. And mom was the logical choice. She'd believe me, but I didn't want to scare her. She'd already been scared enough when she thought the agency was going to go under and she wouldn't be able to take care of me and her brother that I'd helped her out of that pickle might make her blame herself for the one I was in now. That made no sense to me, but it might to her. Besides, she wanted to put the whole seeing dead folks stuff behind her. And here's the thing. What could she do? Even if I did tell her. So just that mm. anxiety of just like wanting help, but not knowing how to ask for help and not wanting to bother, you know, not wanting to yeah. impose yeah. that on his mom. Like I, growing up, I struggled with a lot of anxiety issues and it came out in really weird ways. Like I would get sent to the principal's office a lot in kinder, like in elementary school, or I would fake being sick just to go home. And mm -hmm. like, I didn't, like I knew something was going on, but I didn't know how to put it into words and I didn't want to bother my parents or worry mm -hmm. them, you know? And so I think that, that's just a really, for a kid, that's a scary place to be and seeing him process like, okay, I've got a problem, but how do I talk to somebody about this in a way that's not going to like make them scared? Right. <laughs> so it, yeah, I relate hard to that as well. Um, Mike, what else do you have? 
I I like the little things that you kind of see. You know, I mean the the girl that had golden hair and rosy cheeks and the hole in her throat, just kind of sitting next to the woman on the bus. Like I love the little things that King has fun with, like playing rules and playing with the rules. Like you know, the people that could kind of tell there is the role that was or thumper sitting there or standing there uh, mm-hmm. outside um mm-hmm. and the person just kind of got weirded out and didn't want to stand in that position like it's little things like that i loved um i also love the delay of words it kind of reminded me of oh, uh, yes. one of the one of the cold yes. opens of the x-files when like uh spoiler alert, one of the characters dad dies and you see mm-hmm. the character just sitting there just like mouthing words and they're silent and like you can't really tell what they're saying and it just reminded me of that and just like that that separation of mm-hmm. like audio and, and actual physical presence was that's very dry very twin peaksian yeah uh, i really dug that mac what else you got yeah i had that exact same thing the on a time delay from hell the voice when thumper's talking it's like off it's not uh, quite there uh i had um we mentioned it earlier but the the deadlight as it as if he was like a burned log with fire still inside. Um, when Liz falls down the stairs, hits her head, starts laughing again, mm. and then hits it again, and it's as if a radio turned off. I thought that was really disturbing to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just the way that human body works like that. It's just I could picture that so vividly. It's so like jarring. And then um, just the idea that, uh, and page 239, the idea of waking up, uh, to the deadlight with its arms outstretched because you just happen to whistle in your sleep when you're doing things you're just un- not in control of. Yeah. And the idea that this thing, you could just be calling this thing into existence, um, which I think kind of speaks to what Mike was saying too about likening that with like his uncle and the idea that like you can ignore this as much as you want, but in your dreams, you could dream about that and it could come out and it could mm-hmm. just attack you whenever when you're disarmed and you're not really thinking, you know, you're not in control. Um, yeah. So, yeah. 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 You actually just, uh, those were the ones I was going to read as well. Just the, the image of, of like sort of this rotted husk of a body with all this brilliant light pouring from it. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that will always be an effective image for me. I feel like that's something like Flanagan, uh, Mike Flanagan toys yes. with in his movies. He loves to play with, uh, with the eyes that shine like flashlights mm-hmm. and things. And that's always a, a spooky image that I enjoy. So, uh, yeah, so it works. Clearly King's been watching some Mike Flanagan. Yeah. So, um, you probably texted but, him. He's like, you know, <laughs> great as always, Mike. <laughs> remind me of the cover of the thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, well, now that we've, uh, you know, been shivering our tails off, I think it's time to get warm, get cozy, and cut ourselves a slice of pound cake. Oh, Lord. After all you've been taught, everyone in bed, mama, everything in the sin. Come to your closet and pray. Ask to be forgiven. He's a nice boy, mom. You like him. You really like him, mama. Welcome to Pound Cake. This is the section where we talk about perhaps some of the more blush-worthy sections of King's work. (laughs) The things that made us, the things that made us say, oh dear, honey. Um, (laughs) That's my new description for Pound Cake. Um, What do you guys have? I I have one straight up. Uh, This one actually harkens back to the old, the old uh, way of King, which is uh, he calls a woman's breasts bazams. Yeah. (laughs) 
Her extreme, the desk lady leaned forward. I was fascinated by how her extremely large bazams shoved her papers forward. Uh, just that bazams felt like a fresh one for me. I feel like I haven't heard that from King. Uh, so, but it reminded me of the all-time classic that is in both Carrie and Salem's Lot, Jahoobies. Jahoobies, oh, which will always Good be God. the best uh, King boob description. So yeah, bazams straight up. I got to give him credit for it. He still got it even in his seventies. So, what else do you one. guys got? Got uh, let's hear it. All right, on page eighty-one. A few minutes later, Liz left, slamming the door on her way out, and didn't come back for almost a week. But when she did, they made up in the bedroom with the door <laughs> closed. I heard that too because the making up part was pretty noisy, groans and laughter and squeaky bed springs. <laughs> <laughs> Loves playing that cheeky game. Yeah. Uh, I actually have one. Can that's you like guess a... what they were doing? He's yeah, <laughs> they're playing Twister. Um, yeah, they were actually just playing a game. I have a few. I have one right a few pages uh, after that, and it's something I already referenced before. It's the self-aware pound cake. Um, it's when uh, Liz is uh, having to write the book, Regis's book, uh, and I don't mean Regis Philbin. I mean Regis Thomas. Uh, but uh, one night, deep into their second bottle of wine, I heard her tell Liz that if she had to write another sentence containing a phrase such as "firm thrusting breast." tipped with rosy nipples she might lose her mind <laughs> look king that is that is some that's some great self-awareness right there uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. if it is that you know um i had on uh page 54 uh on that day mom wouldn't have cared if liz called her bonnie boobs a lot <laughs> <laughs> um i also had uh <laughs> it's weird like <laughs> aside that's not focused on at all but page 141 i heard his sigh of relief when he sat down in his favorite oh. chair also a fart <laughs> not a trumpet blast more of an oboe it's like why even describe <laughs> it why are you even bringing it up now farts, man. he loves, he loves his it farts. he loves it no i and nobody loves king's fart references more than dan a fellow lizard dan caffrey who will always it's so funny whenever pound cake comes up around dan he starts talking about it under the dome when when the professor starts farting when he gets beat up dan thinks that is the funniest thing and then that makes it's me so think pathetic. it's the funniest thing i know it's one of the most pathetic descriptions ever given to a character. <laughs> like if King. I farted while somebody was beating me up, that would be more embarrassing and hurtful than any any punch laid on me. Yeah. Um, other other pound cake that we have here. Uh, I, I a weird one. Mike already mentioned it, but I the three times that his shorts were lower than ever. Hey, <laughs> better pull up your shorts, Mister Thomas, or your willy's gonna get chilly. Yeah, the chilly <laughs> willy and, and the plumber's crack. I was like. Okay, we get it. We his, get his it. Shorts his are falling off. Like, chill out. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was kind of on, on, on 49 It's just like, I'd say there was a sex scene every 50 pages or so in <laughs> yeah. Death Swamp, including one in a tree while hungry alligators crawled under, around beneath. We're talking 50 shades of Roanoke. In my early teens, Regis Thomas taught me to jack off. And if that's too much information, deal with it. That's what you were saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, deal with it. Okay. Deal with but it. I just, <laughs> I had the Roanoke thing in there too. Yeah, that's the way the, the way that he says that reminds me of like the father in Dirty Work when he's just like, yeah, we didn't have any methods of contraception, like pulling out. You know, like it just felt so direct and blunt. Man, I, I hope somebody's keeping track of all of your pop culture references. I, just I just want to see all. them stacked one Watch on top list. of the other. Is, uh, King know. King himself. I'm, uh, I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm sitting here like John Malkovich in Rounders with uh, my uh, my Oreos. <laughs> Uh, it's your tell you've just shown it it to us Uh, Rachel any other pound cake for you 
he can't find it exactly, but there's just a few times where like he describes like his friends were describing Liz's body as like a smoking hot body or something. <laughs> so, so nothing, nothing serious. But you guys, real, you guys picked I, all the other ones. She's a real but, Abraham Lincoln. Oh, and that's why I feel like it gets. Yeah. That's where I feel he kind of wavers from like you know yeah we have a lesbian relationship here yeah but you also like incredibly sexify you know liz's character to the point where it's just like it almost becomes male fantasy at that point <laughs> or like you know? page uh my last one's page 183 the baggy sweatshirt beneath the coat showed only a hint of what had been generous breasts <laughs> Yeah, what it, ge- the generous breasts? Generous. Who generous? Hey, who's, like, she, who's giving them generous? Those kids would have said she was stacked when she was younger. Yeah. On page twenty-seven, he says torrid thighs. Uh, torrid. <laughs> what makes thighs torrid? Well, uh, you got to read that Roanoke book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got to get that book. Got All get right. Uh, <laughs> anything else before we venture over to King's Dominion? Uh, all Alrighty. right, let's walk off those. Let's walk off those extra calories over in a little place we call King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. Here in King's Dominion, we discuss the connections to the larger King multiverse, the various references that he pops in here. We've mentioned a few of them, but, uh, but yeah, there's more to discuss all King. Uh, Cause I already mentioned it. Nails biting into palms is officially King's dominion. Now it's been in so many books. It's just like when you get a reference to Shawshank prison, uh, I'm, I'm getting a reference to the nails biting into palms. And it's funny. I was, my nails had grown a little bit long and I was out for a walk. And so I was like, well, before I cut them, I'm going to see if I can actually do it. Because... <laughs> oh my God. And so I, I squeezed as hard as I could, like just fist, like nails digging into my palm as hard as I could. And uh, I could not make them bleed. So I like maybe I just you, have really strong skin. I like that you attempted the science well, project to yeah. see if you could do it. I love it. Well, I've, it was right after I read it in the book and I was up and I was just like, I was like, is this a thing? Is it a real thing? Because I can't imagine ever clenching my fist so hard. <laughs> That that happens. So, you're like, I can, out, see, were you I can out? see you reading it, and like you get to that part, you just ah, you throw it against the wall. Like, I can't. Why? Why are you bringing this up again? I just see I you like I suffer from my art. You're probably not, like near Winnemac Park or something, and like you know, there's a parent. You know, the, the kids just like, Dad. You know, what's that? Kid, what's that man doing with his fists? Or whatever. And it's just it's like, like he's not ah! real. He's a ghost. He's a he's, he's not a ghost. Real. <laughs> yeah, God, he threw. Um, uh, um, what other King references did we find in this book? There are a bunch. Oh boy, yeah. yeah there's a ton. <laughs> Rachel, what's one that uh, you got right off the top of the list? Well, Shawshank Redemption. And then mm-hmm. he also, doesn't he quote himself in here at some point about yes. books be, books are uniquely portable magic? Yep. <laughs> I read Page that somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, so those for sure. I also, I couldn't help but think of Pascal when, you know, thinking of uh, Thumper mm-hmm. following mm-hmm. him around with the hole in his head. So I mm-hmm. couldn't mm-hmm. help but draw some Pet cemetery it's a, lines there. It's a club favorite uh, character. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just from me, the only one that likes Pascal. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, there are a lot of 19 references, you know, like Thumper oh, set yeah. off the 19 bombs. Um, mm-hmm. The code for the safe or the room adds up to 19. Um, so that was, I thought that was uh, cute. Um, so is uh, Liz's phone passcode. Oh, was it? And those oh, are it? like back to back, too, which is weird. It also yeah, spells they, they both book. Do. Oh, really? Okay. If you, uh, I tried to figure. I was like, "Does this spell anything?" Oh, oh books my god! And books, the only thing. 
nice, nice. I, I well, I've been saying that he's been trolling this throughout this whole book, and I took some re- reasons why. You know, like I, we already mentioned the Shawshank re- reference, the the whole literary agency with like Roanoke. I felt like that kind of um, you know was a, a call to some of his you know his past works. The mentioning of Dolores, and the, they they even go like Dolores, and then they may, may mention another name. You know, kind of like very titillating references to just get your eyes a little buzz. The mentioning of Chud, the fact that it's the Marsden house and not the Marston house, and it's kind of still like this mansion in the middle of nowhere. Um, the use of the word dandy cleaners when discussing the deadlights felt mm. very like, you know, oh, a reference to Dandelo. Um, even the fact that like they, when they're talking about how many other people have this ability to see dead ghosts, you know, um, at one point I think it's either Liz or Jamie says like, how many do you think there are? Which kind of kind of feels like another cheeky nod of like, oh, there are other people out there that can see ghosts. You know, maybe maybe Danny Torrance is going to pop up at the end. Um, and then obviously building on that is the hinting powers coming from the father. I just felt like all these little things like that were just King's way of, um, I don't know, playing with the constant readers a little bit. Yeah. You know. What about you, Mac? What else do you have? Uh, Mike got a lot of them. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. No, I, I had uh, page 115. Thumper wanting to complete the circle, and I thought mm. it caused a wheel. Um, the more uh, we talked about deadlights, um, the oh, page one sixty two bold words. But as I'd already found out, Thoreau could make as many untrue statements as he, it, mm-hmm. wanted to. I had that too. <laughs> uh, page one one seven seven. That thing is from outside the universe, and I thought it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's that's very yeah. nice. Um, page 190, Jamie speaks about how he forgot about it when talking about the fact he didn't try and call for it to come to mess with Liz when she kidnapped him for the second time. And I thought that was very in line with the idea that you, you forget about these Mm -hmm. things and much like you forget about your childhood and all that. But this was more directly tied to that. And, um, oh, and then this isn't a tie. This isn't King's Dominion, I guess. Well, it is, but more of a uh, to Carpenter. When the deadlight creeps in again, it sticks its hand through the mirror and grabs Liz by the throat, and that's right out of Prince of Darkness. Yeah, the imagery of that, and I and I thought that that was a fun uh, nod to that. I, it has to be that. Yeah. Yeah. So Rachel, like anything that. that we that we didn't get so far? Oh, this isn't a King's Dominion thing. But I'm trying to remember, but I think he mentioned that one of the lawyers, the at the end. His last name was like Grisham, and I was like, "Oh, that's very clever." <laughs> that's uh, speaking of of names, or actually not, well, sort of. Um, on page one forty five, he waved his he waved a hand. Bosch. I don't think that at all. Uh, oh, clearly, my. a reference to Bosch, one of Bush. Stephen King's favorite TV shows, and your new Barely. favorite show. I I'm three episodes in. I'm loving it. I'm hey, loving being a, being a dad. Um, and then <laughs> on page one oh seven. Um, I remember Miss. I remembered Miss Mr. Thomas saying my mom looked older, and now I thought my mom's lost friend looked older too, thinner. Oh, oh. reference to the book Thinner. <laughs> now, do, do you have any more, Randall? Because I no, have that's some my room two three seven. I've got some great room two three seven. Okay, room two three seven. All right, page thirty. Um, I wrote a reference to The Shining, Saint Anthony. And it says, Tony, Tony, come around. Something's lost that must be found. Tony. I know, think I actually thought enough. that too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's fair. I think that's pretty fair, Mac. Again. Uh, page 32. 
Pretty soon after they die, their voices start to fade away, like turning down the music on the car radio. After a while, you can't hear them at all. And I wrote, Christine. Oh, my God. <laughs> totally. 100%. It's got to be. Uh, it's got to be. Beep, beep, beep. Oh, this is my favorite. Page 35. <laughs> but the bicycle man in Central Park scared the shit out of me. He was gushy. Where I went, <laughs> at that point I went, he was gushy. I went, oh, he's Dr. Irving Gushy Gushman, played by Dennis Wolfberg in <laughs> Quantum Leap. Oh, my project, project Quantum Leap's head computer programmer, always referred to as Gushy. So I was like, oh, we, we, we figured it out. It's a deep cut reference to Gushy, the character from Quantum Leap. Oh, uh, my God. It's got to uh, Bear with me. I have well, three more. No one can talk about more. One. Page one thirty-five. I uh-huh. kept thinking. Oh, oh, actually, Mike. Mike mentioned this, but he, he he buried the lead. I kept thinking I'd open my closet to get a shirt, and he'd be oh, in there, Lord. my own personal boogeyman. And I thought, <laughs> oh, he's his own personal Bogeyman. He's rich, 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 richer than anybody knew. Mister uh, Boge. Page one sixty. This is Chud. I'm in Mortal Combat with a demon right here in the front hall of my New York apartment building. And uh, I thought that that was just fun. Like a reference, reference to, to the video the, game? The video game and to Chud. I was oh, going to say uh, Chud the, the movie. Ritual of Chud. <laughs> and Chud the movie, yeah. New York. Um, and then page 195, other companies took a long walk off the same oh short Oh, my dock. gosh. <laughs> wow. Long walk. Wow. Uh, hey, uh, folks, this is yeah. why I like being on the book episodes. Just, <laughs> hey, look, Room 237 is the greatest. <laughs> They're always spend, a highlight. I spend all my time looking for these things. <laughs> uh, oh, also, page 200. Uh, pills, Jamie, pills. And all I could think of was that Wonder Shows and with the kids going, pills, oh. pills, <laughs> pills, pills. <laughs> Um, that's not even King's Dominion or Room 237 I know well, these, these are random I have a section that I always want to include called random because it's just things I think of when I come through it but two things that I thought was, were interesting though the, the James McKenzie fund I thought was weird yeah, yeah. Sure, that's my name reversed name. I just thought oh this is interesting and then uh, they mention on page 172 the Sarasota Memorial Hospital which is where I was born wow Whoa. so I just was like for those two things to be in the same book, I thought were really weird. Well, some he is a listener. King's Dominion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think. And this, <laughs> I I got some th- room 237 for you. I think he oh, listens yeah, to our it. show, and you're his favorite l- loser, Mac. <laughs> <laughs> those were purposeful. Those were yeah, meant for you. Those are for you. He's going to call you up after oh, listening they, to this oh, week's episode. Oh, that King listens to it? That yeah. yeah he listens to the pod. You're going to need an email, <laughs> and we're going to get an email on the Losers Club and Gmail, and I'm going to be like, go! Check out the email, and it's gonna be like uh, Mac. Uh, uh, you you you, found, you connected the dots, and uh, the prize is a reference. I'm I'm gonna the prize is that I get to choose the next the next story in the next book. And spoiler alert, it's gonna involve the Tommy Knockers. Oh, I thought you were gonna say Holly Gibney. You were gonna um, say well, the Colkin Quest or what? Conklin Quest. Conklin. It's the series. The name of the series, the Conklin Quest. Oh, I love it. Oh, and the second one is where the uh, Tommy Knockers bring him, and they say, "Hey, we need you to talk to some dead aliens." <laughs> Got to talk to Tommy. I hope it's another hard-boiled classic. <laughs> um, on that note, I think it's time to pivot over into our final thoughts. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> okay, I'll be right there. <laughs>
said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. Here in Final Thoughts, we share our final thoughts, along with our Pennywise Clown Nose rankings and MVP. Um, for you, the listeners, thank you for, for bearing with us through this episode. Who wants to kick things off? Mike, why don't you give us your Pennywise Clown Nose ranking and uh, your MVP? Uh, well, I'm. this is mid-tier king for me. I, you know, I think this is kind of no different than his other leaner efforts. You know, you mentioned Gwendy's Button Box. I mentioned Elevation. You know, where he's kind of engaging with weighty stakes and this sort of breezy fly by the seat of your pants brand of storytelling. Um, and it's weird because, Randall, I think you'll relate to this. I, I, I kind of like this book a lot to the way I almost look at uh, like bigger projects for me as late. You know, where mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I like a lot of these big ideas and then I get them on paper and I don't want to spend too much time for them, you know, with them for fear that I have too much else going on. Um, and it, and I, and I think that's kind of the case here because, you know, there's a lot of story within 250 pages. And as we all know, there's definitely a side of King where that could have easily become 700 to 800 pages. But I don't really think it would work. You know, I, I, I really I think especially given the structure and format, I, I actually appreciate the recap energy of this book, you know, because it moves, you know, it moves faster than it should in some instances. But I, I think at the same time, I'd argue that if you lingered any more, I think you'd kind of welcome more of a, a, a porous narrative, you know, where all, like the, you know, messy things like logic and circumstance would come into, uh, into fruition. And I think we'd, you know, poke even more holes at it. Um, so as it stands, I, I, I think this is comfortable, enjoyable. It's, it's a nice little coming of age story. Um, and it kind of leaves all the revelations in hindsight, as we discussed, which actually feels more true to life than like a broader treatise or something like that. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, I give this three bright red Pennywise clown noses. It's a parable in King's Dominion. Nothing more, nothing less. And I think my MVP, I'm going to go with our boy Thumper. <laughs> the man himself. Yeah. Love it. Rachel, what is your bright red Pennywise clown nose ranking and your MVP? So I agree with a lot of what Mike just said. I'm going to go three bright red Pennywise clown noses. I, I enjoyed this a lot. I think he actually manages to fit a lot of nuance and a lot of content into this really slim book. I had mm-hmm. a lot of fun reading it. And I also connected in a lot of ways that I wasn't expecting to moving it, you know, moving through it. But it also was, yeah, it's a quick and easy read. It's self-contained and it's not like a huge investment either, you know, emotionally or time-wise. Um, but it was, I thought it was really great and I enjoyed it. And yeah, of course would recommend it. Um, as far as MVP goes, oh boy. Um, I really like Tia in this, not just as a character, but just the fact that she exists in one of King's books. Mm-hmm. I think that it's an interesting character for him to write. I mean, she's a great mom and seeing her through a kid's eyes, I think was really different, but she was also shown a lot of respect, I think. Mm-hmm. And he actually was able to fill out her character, even though it was just told through Jamie, I think in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. So more than just her, the character herself, I just really appreciated how he approached her and presented her. Cool. Good one. Mac. Well, much like Stephen King echoed it, <laughs> I'm going to echo you two and say three bright red Pennywise clown noses. Um, and I was almost gave it three and a half because I just felt like at the end of the day, 
I don't think I've burned through a King book this fast in a long time. And it was just fun. And I just had a good time with it for the most part. You know, um, obviously there's things we didn't like about it, but for the most part, I thought it was pretty, pretty enjoyable. And, you know, I, I always think King's shorter stuff is his best. And even though you could tell he was struggling to keep it short in this, I, for the most part, it's pretty tight. I mean, um, I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I loved say what you will about the ritual of Chud. <laughs> love seeing that specific thing come back and be the thing that really is like, Oh yeah, we're bringing back the ritual of Chud. You no, know, no one likes it. No one puts it in the movies or anything. Although they finally did. They finally did. But uh, I thought that that was funny that that was the thing that he brought back. And then obviously you know, the Dandelo esque creature, which I, we didn't really talk about this, but I don't, I do not believe that it was it. It was just, I just felt like it was another one of those kind of creatures which uh, which is fun. I just thought that was a fun fun way to bring him back. Uh, my MVP, um, I wasn't a Theralt, but I'm gonna say it was the it was uh, the Deadlight. Uh, <laughs> the because, Deadlight uh, itself. Theralt's only in it for like a heartbeat, but I think the Deadlight continues. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, cool. I yeah, I think the thing with this book was it it surprised me in a lot of ways, which. Is good, and you know, I read a lot of King, and I think a lot of about I, you know, King books always make me think, and I always sit with them. But it's rare that I leave a book unsatisfied, and and I find sort of I I find myself thinking about it to that point where I kind of turn my like the thing that I didn't like kind of becomes something I did like. So like the the epilogue with the incest and everything is a really like bizarre and again inelegant sort of. A bit of writing, but what it presents and what it uh, like opened up for me thematically for this one, that actually ended up being really satisfying. And I found myself thinking about this book more um, in the aftermath than I do with a lot of other King books. So, or at least I was, you know, usually with King, I'm thinking more about the characters or certain moments. It's not often that I sit with his themes really deeply. And so in this one, th- sitting with the themes was was a really uniquely satisfying experience. And yeah, and I agree with you guys that this is a, a satisfying read. It's fun and it's got good characters and it does it all in such like an economical way, which is really rare for him. So it's nice. It's nice to see that. And there's some really good gruesome uh, horror and gore in this, which, you know, was good to see because I don't know, like, uh, like not even if it bleeds gave us, you know, kind of that old fashioned King gore as much. And, uh, and the Institute didn't really either. It's not something we get a lot in modern King. So I enjoy it when he gets a little bit gnarly. So yeah, I'm going to give it three and a half bright red Pennywise clown noses. And, um, my MVP is going to be, uh, let's see here. It's going to be, uh, Biggie Smalls. I love this man. This guy is this ball gag. I'm just kidding. He's not my MVP. My MVP uh, is Thumper because he's creepy as hell. Mike, actually, I, I have a change of MVP, uh, MVP for myself. Um, it's actually going to be Michael Strahan for his excellent uh, interview <laughs> with Stephen King. Excellent interview of Stephen King on Good Morning America. Man, this MVP, guy knows how to do it. MVP is um, actually the show The Wire. Uh, you should check it out. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's a person of really interest. Good. Uh, it's gonna be Torchwood for me. Um, fringe. Torchwood. Hey, Torchwood's fringe. good. Fringe. fringe. Love Fringe. Uh, Love Fringe. Check it out. Well, 
I love this podcast and I, I love you guys. Thank you so much for being part of this episode. Thank you, Michael Strahan, for your great interview with Stephen King. Sorry, I just love this bit. Um, uh, yeah, stay tuned. We've got a lot of fun stuff up. We've got our episode of the, on the Regulators coming up soon and also our episode on the crossover between Desperation and Regulators. We're going to devote a whole episode to discussing what works and what doesn't in sort of that strange marketing literary gimmick that uh, King embarked upon back in 1996. Uh, we've also got a, a commentary a track on Christine, the film, John Carpenter's Christine coming up, which is going to be a good time. And if you haven't listened to it yet, our Patreon uh, users have access to In the Mouth of Madness, a deep uh, dive into that Carpenter flick. So lots of good stuff going on. If you are interested in becoming a patron, we have lots of fun episodes. We have access to our Discord and uh, monthly hangouts with the losers. You can access that at patreon.com slash the barons. We would love to have you. Uh, until then, however, let's wish everyone a long, long day. days and, and pleasant, pleasant nights. Nice. I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends.